I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that sometimes remembers to actually be a podcast and not just a YouTube live stream. <laughs> I'm Seb Patrick and joining me to cock a shotgun by spinning it around in one hand while controlling a motorcycle with the other hand are... James Hunt and Caroline Cedar. It's, it's the coolest thing that's ever happened in a movie, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we will be discussing James Cameron's 1991 film Terminator 2 Judgment Day. We're not going to cover news this time around. Um, there has actually been some news, surprisingly, since we last recorded something, but we are going to save that for our next minisode. So we'll get straight into the film discussion shortly. But before we do, I'm going to ask James to explain why it is that we're covering a movie that isn't about superheroes and isn't based on a comic. James, what the hell are we playing at? <laughs> it's become clear to us, uh, looking at our master list of available films, of eligible films, that we've covered all of the really good ones <laughs> and we sort of we don't want this podcast to become a chore for us and watching a succession of of bad comic book films would get tiresome eventually and i mean it's not that we're not gonna do those films yeah the roger corman fantastic four will <laughs> yeah. happen eventually friend friend of the show and and, and regular guest or semi-regular guest steve lacy has, has said uh, the things we'll do to avoid doing the roger corman fantastic four steve we will get you on to do the roger corman fantastic four <laughs> in the future i promise yeah I, I, and it's not it's not that we don't like covering films that we know aren't going to be any good and i i think or at least i hope that we're fair enough that when we do do the those films like we pull good stuff out of them we and we, we we try to enjoy them and we generally do but equally there are sometimes films where there's very little good to pull out or just yeah doing that thing of okay let's do batman and robin let's do steel let's do fantastic four it's like yes that it can be enjoyable to go okay what's actually good about these and can we enjoy them in their badness but yeah you need that bit of variety and we've always had that before and we've always tried to mix that up and and not just do five amazing classic films in a row or five schlocky tv movies in a row but we're running out <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and and just uh, just to give you some indication of what we're dealing with, the list of films we haven't covered from the last sort of two or three decades includes, let's see, Speed Racer. There are people who really like Speed Racer. Electra, Son of the Mask, Bulletproof <laughs> Monk, The Witchblade TV Pilot, <laughs> several Crow films. Power Rangers the movie. We've got quite a few Turtles movies we haven't done. Yeah, we've got a couple of <laughs> Turtles movies. We have the Incredible Hulk TV movies, 
But there's nothing truly essential <laughs> that we haven't yet looked at. Yeah. There are also things like Road to Perdition or American Splendor. Like there are there are good movies that are based on comics or, or otherwise about comics that, that we can do as well. But again, it's like we can't have it that the only good movies that we do like aren't superhero comic book ones either so that's a kind of we, we don't just want the good ones to be the kind of the worthy oscar bait ones that are left like the handful of, of those that there the are. way we're excusing that is that like most of these superhero properties there are tons of comics based on blockbuster mm. movies so for example terminator has got it probably exists more <laughs> as comics than as films at this point yeah <laughs> like there are terminator series stretching back into possibly even into the 80s like as soon as terminator became a film it also became comics 1988 was the first terminator comic yeah and that's the thing it's like when when i mean obviously there have been comics of lots of things and there have been comics of things that don't necessarily lend themselves to being comics but something like terminator and some of the other films and franchises that we're going to look at even if they're not based on comics they do lend themselves well to becoming comics universes and they are inherently you know they're 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 cut from the same cloth as comic book and superhero stuff they they feel right alongside it and again it's not to say that we're just going to cover like anything in a sort of geek in inverted commas like sector um, <laughs> you're like, unlikely we to will... see star wars <laughs> <laughs> we, I was, yeah we will never do star wars i think people know me and james well enough now that, that we won't bother with star wars we would be like insulting everybody if we tried to sit here and talk about star wars there's just no point <laughs> james is not going to persuade me to do star trek in even if he did, I don't think Star Trek is is quite the right area either. Listen, don't write it off yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, I think I think hopefully I think you you'd feel the same way as us about in terms of these these are things that feel right to sort of sit and genre adjacent is the phrase that we've used. And also, I think I think we'll try at least for the moment to stick to a rule where there should have been a comic of it somewhere at some point, which means that we <laughs> could do Bill and Ted and Back to the Future at some point as well. I'm still ang- angling for us to do Bill and Ted Face the Music when that comes out. Yeah, maybe. I feel like I have to slightly take credit for this format because one time Joe and I totally went rogue and just recorded a bonus Independence Day episode <laughs> that you guys released on your feed for no expl- <laughs> for no reason. So I like yep. to think I had a slight a slight impact yeah. on this shift in the podcast. Absolutely. That was just basically because you got to the end of the Men in Black episode and you didn't want to stop talking about Will Smith. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and obviously we did the you know there was the there was the debate over whether the matrix counts or not and and we were sort of using that as a bit of a test the waters for this as well although obviously with the matrix there was a lot of of comics relevant stuff to yeah get and into. then it had the problem of cleaning up at the end of year awards <laughs> like terminator <laughs> 2 is going to do this yeah <laughs> well this is the thing so we so we wanted to go in with our kind of first example of this we wanted to prove the point that, that the reason we wanted to do this was to have really good films to talk about so we quickly identified two possibilities for what the the first film of this new format would be. They were both from the same director. They they've got they share some cast members. They're very much cut from the same cloth. Um, they were Aliens and Terminator Two. I'll be honest, I would have slightly veered more towards Aliens because Aliens is just one of my favourite films, full stop. And I I could talk about it all day long, even aside from the fact that it's got Matt McDonald in it. If you watch the the special edition, <laughs> uh, but we decided to, and we, and we will do Aliens, I'm sure, at some point in the future. Not straight away. It will definitely be on the list for this uh but we actually offered caroline the choice of which of the two films to cover because i think james i imagine you're in a similar position to me where you kind of hold both those films maybe on a you know similar level 
Yeah, absolutely. But Caroline, you expressed a, a direct preference for one of the two, which was Terminator 2. Uh, why did you want us to do that and not Aliens? Yeah, so I have a weird relationship to both of these franchises in that I don't know how I was a child of the 90s and somehow came out of that really having never seen the Terminator or Alien franchise. And very strange because I'm both a sci-fi fan and an action movie fan, so I don't know what weird gap in my film <laughs> education there was. But ultimately, I really didn't watch either of these franchises until about five years ago, and I was sort of doing them like around wow. the same time. I know. Again, very strange relationship to these. Um, so I, so going into that, I really expected Alien to be my preferred franchise because I really like sci-fi. And I ended up loving Terminator. I like the Alien franchise. Like, I would be happy to chat about Aliens. But, but to me, that one, like, almost didn't meet my expectations. And Terminator mm. so wildly exceeded my expectations. <laughs> and I just then went fully all in on Terminator. I will happily watch any Terminator movie at any time. I still haven't watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles, but that is high on my list of old TV shows to catch up on. So yeah, I feel like I have discovered this newfound like Terminator fandom in the past five years. And now I am very excited to get to chat all about it. Before we go into this one specifically, then, uh, it, it, is this one your favorite of the series? Or do you prefer the first one? I really, really like the first one. I don't know. To me, they almost feel like equal, which I know is unusual. Most people like T2 more, but I really love, I love the ideas of that first one and how smart it is and the scrappiness of it, which I think can look dated to some people. To me, it's like a very charming scrappiness. And I don't know. I think this franchise is very smart in a way that maybe is actually undervalued because it's also so good as just a big action movie. And I think that smartness really stems from that first one. So to me, those first two are like almost on equal equal playing fields. And then I will watch even a bad Terminator film. I will happily watch. I just like all of them. <laughs> and there are plenty of bad Terminator yeah. films to watch. <laughs> I, I, I think, I mean, not to spend too much of this talking about Aliens, but I think there really is a, even though Terminator has the thing of the first two are both by Cameron, whereas Alien and Aliens, he only did the second one. I think they, they are very similar in that the first film is the smaller, darker, more interesting one. And I think you could probably say that, like, objectively as a piece of cinema is probably better, but that the second one, in both cases, are just such utterly perfect and so influential action films that I, ju I in both cases, I do find the second one more enjoyable, even though I think the first one is brilliant in both cases as well yeah I, I mean i use this as an excuse both to watch the first one and the second one and i actually hadn't seen i missed <laughs> dark fate in theaters but i caught up on that one too so this was a good excuse <laughs> for just more terminator in my life which is what i always want <laughs> well we should we'll we'll i think we'll hopefully at the end we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about franchise stuff we'll we'll talk about the comics and we'll we'll kind of talk about your your feelings on the the later terminator films i have not seen a single terminator film past terminator 2 so i'll be interested <laughs> to hear about thoughts on all of them but let's get in uh as i say earlier than we would do on, on previous episodes but we're as i say we're sort of we're, we're shifting news to minnesota so we're gonna get straight in there with film discussion let's hear a trailer for this film it might be the trailer that massively gives away the twist of the premise and we'll we'll talk about that as well let's listen to that we'll come back and we will talk about terminator 2 Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. 
You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Mom! Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Okay, so that was the trailer for Terminator 2, Judgment Day. So I think we all we all know, obviously, the, the setup of the, the Terminator series, the fact that the first film is about Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator, a robotic Terminator. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a better word for him than Terminator. He's a cyborg killing machine. He's a cyborg killing machine. Oh yeah, he is a uh, yeah he is a cyborg, isn't he? Because he's part organic. So uh, he's a cyborg killing machine who has been sent from the future to kill a woman called Sarah Connor because her son John Connor uh, will go on to be the leader of the resistance in a war against these cyborgs. So the first film, he's the baddie, he's the monster of the film. It's kind of a, a kind of a action horror film, really, isn't it? Or kind of sci-fi horror with him kind of chasing her down, being uh, protected by a soldier also from the future called Kyle Reese, played by Michael Bain. Sarah Connor is, of course, played by Linda Hamilton. Arnie's character, the Terminator, is destroyed at the end of that film. Terminator 2 is about another model Terminator being sent back from the future to kill John Connor this time, because uh, John Connor is a... T- he's, he's, he's 10 in this, isn't he? It's weird. He seems like he's older, but the character is meant to be 10. He's lived a life. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the the twist for Terminator 2 is that there are as the title suggests two terminators and the film plays this really interestingly because uh you don't necessarily know at the start of the film that Arnie's terminator that's been sent back has actually been sent back by John himself to protect himself because it's the other terminator the T1000 played by Robert Patrick who's been sent back to kill John. We'll talk about that scene, the scene that kind of reveals that and how the opening of the film plays out with that as we get to it um but from a marketing point of view you would think that that twist would be buried by the marketing but as i probably the trailer that and you know i always pick the trailers afterward but probably the trailer that i've just played will have shown us that the fact that arnie was the goody in this film was actually given away by the publicity beforehand which rather knackers what would otherwise be a brilliant twist after about 30 minutes of the film when you tweeted about this someone said to you like if (laughs) if they hadn't blown it in the trailers it would have been one of the great cinematic twists of all time yeah 
I can't help but agree with that. Like, it takes so long for them to reveal that point. Yeah. And if you go back and watch the film with fresh eyes, you can see that they're hiding it. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're giving you every reason to believe that Robert Patrick's character is a human like Kyle Reese, who has been sent back to protect John. Like, yeah. he's talking, he's doing all this, like, he's visiting people, he's doing all this stuff that is designed to be a feint. Like, mm. he doesn't use his his morphing powers or whatever, they, you know, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> you don't even see, and I think, when you watch this, obviously knowing what he is, uh, you know that he will have killed the cop whose mm-hmm. car and uniform he takes. But you don't see that on screen. It's really clever. It doesn't show him killing him. For all you know, he's just knocked out this cop in order to take his uniform and his car to look up John. And admittedly, he looks a bit sinister. But again, I think part of that is projection. And I think you think Robert Patrick looks sinister because you know how sinister he is in this film, because he's so bloody good at being sinister <laughs> in this film. And also, Kyle Reese is a little bit, maybe not sinister, but he is sort of yeah, a survivor actually. in the first one when he sort of has to, mm. you know, scrape by. And he's not just a kind of yeah upbeat, friendly. Right. I'm a hero kind of. You know, he's he's Michael Bain basically. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I'm slightly sympathetic to I mean I do think it's a bummer that they gave away this twist, but I'm also slightly sympathetic to like what would the trailer have been if they didn't give this away? You know what I mean? They would mm. have just had essentially 20 to 30 minutes of footage <laughs> or they would have just had to yeah. so deceptively market it, which would have been cool. It like that definitely would have been cool, but I I also think it would have been so deceptive. Like it's hard to cut around this. All of the footage they have of John Connor is, you know, with the Terminator as his friend. <laughs> yeah, him standing with Annie. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, too. I mean, I get the... I think that Schwarzenegger's public persona had really shifted between when he did the first Terminator, which was, like, you know, one of his early breakout films, and then between this one, he had become such a bigger presence, and he had sort of, like, started to become, like, comedy, family comedy. Like, he did mm. Kindergarten Cop the year before this, so I think the public was primed to want to see him in a more heroic position so i see the advantage of marketing your film to say hey he's not gonna just be brutally murdering people in this film you will get to see the like lovable arnie from kindergarten cop in this too and you can't really argue with the choices made by the marketing when you have a film where the first film in the series made 38 million dollars in the u.s in its original theatrical run and this film made 31 million dollars in its opening weekend (laughs) and it was at the time the second biggest opening weekend of all time only batman had beaten it two years earlier one of the things i think is really interesting about about this film is um like I, I didn't see this film when it came out. I was, I was slightly too young for it. But even though it's a, and I don't know what what rating it is in the US, but it's in R. the UK, okay, it's an R. So in the UK, it's a fifteen. Although I think now, it certainly if it was released now, it would be a twelve or or a twelve A because yeah. I think twelve years old is absolutely the the perfect age. I was going to say it's not even um, an acceptable age; it's the correct age. Yeah, I, I'm smirking slightly at this as well, by the way, because James and I have had a conversation today about <laughs> film ratings, and <laughs> we've had some disagreements. Whether today the, about this. the British Board of Film <laughs> Classification needs to exist or not. Yeah, but anyway, so I yeah, so I was this was summer of ninety one, so I was only like eight when this came out eight about to turn nine so it would it would it wouldn't be a few years before i would actually see this but i do vividly remember it being everywhere i remember that guns and roses video i remember i'll be back as a catchphrase i remember arnie being all over the place like this was huge (laughs) i've still got the action figures 
I played the Commodore 64 <laughs> adaptation of it. Oh, that Commodore I never got past the, the bike truck level on that Commodore 64 game. They were basically impossible. It was but... so hard. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah, so again, yeah, I played the game, and the game follows the plot of the film. So I knew the plot of the first mm-hmm. 20 minutes of the film because I played it in that <laughs> game. I mean, back in the early 90s, pre-internet, that's how we learned about things. Yeah. <laughs> it's by reading and playing adaptations in other media. Yeah, so so you know, I, I obviously all of that marketing couldn't really happen if it was and Arnie is the killing machine bad guy again. So I get why they had to do it, but it's what I would liken it to actually when when um I th- I think was was it Abby who replied and said you know that thing about it, it would have been one of the most famous big reveals. What I liken it to is if they had managed to do what they wanted to do and keep secret the fact that Christopher Eccleston was going to regenerate at the end of the first series of Doctor Who. If they hadn't had to have all of the the release of the the news and the publicity of that it would have been amazing unfortunately they did and i can see why they did and it and it is what it is and this is the same here it's we it, it becomes a curio and you just have to kind of try and watch it with the eyes of imagine what it would be like if you didn't know and i think it's probably still possible for people now <laughs> i was going to say now removed from the publicity blitz of the film yeah. we are free to raise our children not knowing the twist <laughs> yeah <laughs> see i think that's that's kind of hard to do because to me this this film is just such a cultural icon like even if you've never seen it i think it's hard or for me, at least, you know, it was hard to grow up not knowing about it. Like, I would catch parts of it on TV. I do think it has the weird reputation of sort of being like a film for kids, even though it is an R-rated film. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is such a it is. I mean, it is. I mean, there's there's a there's a fair few f bombs in it, and there's a couple of moments that are a bit grisly, but that it kind of gets away with because it's grisly with robot underneath. Yeah, so it's kind of. All right. I guess there's 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 the one really nasty stabby bit with the t-1000 you know the bit i'm talking about in john's house but and there's a couple of bits of kind of violence towards uh sarah when she's institutionalized as well um but but yeah i mean those bits aside like it is very firmly an adult in inverted commas film for like 12 13 year olds Mm -hmm. to for it to be like their first taste of something like this like it's it's tamer than like robocop which i I think a lot of kids will have watched probably around the same age Mm. but robocop i think is a little bit more than this and aliens is a little bit as well but this is just like this yeah this is this is your perfect classic this is a 15 but really it's for 12 year olds i mean it 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 absolutely was aimed at kids or marketed at kids in some ways because like there Mm. are tons of of terminator action figures like Mm. i had some terminator 2 action figures I was I was nine or ten, but they did the same with a- Aliens and RoboCop. They're exactly the same. Kenner did all of these these kids action figures for mm-hmm. films that the kids weren't technically allowed to go and see. I mean, with RoboCop, there was a kids cartoon, but even so, that speaks to the appeal of like marketing generally, doesn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, you know, p- kids can pick up on it even if they can't go and watch the film. They still know, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going on in it. <laughs> I almost think now the bigger twist is going back and watching the original Terminator and seeing Arnie mm. just as the one note villain. You like that. Mm. I think T2 has so come to dominate mm-hmm. what Terminator yeah. is and what Arnold Schwarzenegger is. Like, I think all, you know, most of his most quotable lines come from this film. Hasta la vista, <laughs> baby, you know? Um, so I feel like it's almost weirder to go back and watch Terminator and he's just the mm. villain. He's not giving a hugely great or charismatic performance as like compelling as he is visually. Uh, like mm. that's almost the weirder thing like kids will go back and watch that and that will be the twist for them i think 
Mm. And the first film is a much harder film. And again, in terms of like UK ratings, I'm pretty sure the first film was an 18 here and it's much, you know. I mean, okay, so, 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 so I have a question then. I mean, given that as it, this film is a sort of yeah, a sequel to this kind of quite quite dark and and brutal uh, serious film with, with kind of Arnie as the bad guy. This is the big budget sequel with the massive marketing campaign with the action figures aimed at kids where Arnie has been turned into cuddly good guy Arnie <laughs> and cracks jokes and it's the lead character is a 10-year-old kid and everything <laughs> is kind of softened a bit. Why then is this film so good? Because like like with all of that, it shouldn't be, should it? It should be the shit sequel. But like this film is and yeah, again, like going back and watching it for, for this, watching it last night. It's a bit like if John Wick turned up and and like <laughs> Yeah. Know, some kid was his sidekick and he was trying to protect him throughout the film while and the he kid got was a like new making dog. jokes and Yeah. It is a bit like if that had happened, right? Yeah. So it 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 just has no right to not only like not be shit, but to be like just pretty much like structurally and visually and everything that it does it's like damn near perfect and even watching it now when you're kind of like so familiar with it and like caroline you were saying about how sort of so much of this has kind of entered into the consciousness and one of the things that that struck me watching this was i was able to pinpoint three different moments in this film that I know better from parodies in other things, which were Homer with the golf clubs chasing after Flanders' car, like the T-1000. Excuse me, have you seen this boy from Wayne's World? <laughs> and uh, the lift scene being the the bit with, with um, Damien Knox in the spaced episode where he's trying to get his comics artwork back because he's called the guy a massive wanker. Like, this film, so much of this film is, like, so ingrained in the culture and so familiar. And, like, you know every beat of this film when you watch it. But it's still... On our old Tumblr, when we had a Tumblr for our comics blog way back when, we ran a series that was panels in comics that reference come with me if you want to live <laughs> oh god yeah most of them weren't most of them by was it either j michael straczynski or jeff a loeb fair chunk of them were by it? jeff loeb yeah yeah <laughs> but it's it's a line that a specific generation of writers cannot get away from because it's so i guess because it is a great line right it's really succinct and really direct and it establishes the stakes immediately like who if someone came up to you and said that you would immediately go okay because <laughs> it is a very compelling case yeah i think Seb, to go back to your question of like this seems bad how is it so good i feel like that's just the story of james cameron's career like every time he comes <laughs> up with the premise everyone's like well that will be terrible and it will fail and then it turns out to be the best most watchable movie and it makes a bajillion dollars <laughs> i do like i don't yeah i think he just has this magic populist touch where he just knows exactly what people want to watch and then he executes it perfectly like so i think a lot of movies aim for you know obviously most movies aim to just be as popular as possible most big blockbuster movies but he does this perfect mix of like giving you what you want but also challenging you a little bit and also finding like real character moments i think that there's like a level of emotionality to this film that actually if there's a biggest a bigger problem with the later terminator sequels it's that they sort of struggle i think to get the character stakes and the emotional stakes as strong as the first two films do but man i mean i just think like 
James Cameron just makes watchable movies. You know, that's like his greatest skill as a filmmaker. And for, I mean, for, I would probably put Titanic above this in terms of movie I would want to watch any day, every day. But this is like also really high up there. I do think Terminator 2 is probably one of those films that whenever I catch any part of it on TV, I would just sit and watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's so good throughout that there's never a point where you're like, oh, this is the boring bit. It's just, it's fantastic from wherever you start and so clear and so well constructed. And I think he does a really good job of, in some ways he's revisiting a lot of things from the first film, like obviously very pointedly, like we were saying in this opening where we've got the evil robot and the the hero figure, but then he twists everything on its head. So, you know, the most obvious one is that Arnie's the good guy now, but then like the transformation that Sarah Connor goes through, which I don't think watching that first movie, you would assume that a sequel would be about her being like a badass warrior woman Indeed. or the idea of, you know, we know that John Connor grows up to be this amazing military hero. And then the twist of, but right now he's just a bratty little kid. Like it's very clever about what it turns on its head so that it hits the beats you want from the original, but also feels very distinct and original and surprising. And the gap between the two films is interesting too, right? That like you have a film that comes out in 1984 that does pretty well, but like really develops a following over time. And then it's not till 91 that this one comes out. Like this is such an unusual, I think, mm. way to tackle a franchise. Which again is pretty much exactly what Aliens did. Because again, yeah. seven, Aliens 79 to 86 and this is 84 to 91. <laughs> yeah. Wait, yes. My math's right. Are they both seven? Yes, they're both seven. <laughs> I mean, I feel like part of that is just the movie business has become a lot more savvy about how it constructs franchises. And like, if Mm. if one film does well, like the sequel is ready to go. Whereas, yeah, with back then, you know, they films had a bit longer to succeed, and you know, stars had longer to develop, Mm -hmm. and they did, Mm. you know, more frequently go back to go back and say, well, actually, this can support a sequel now. Because Schwarzenegger is more famous now, for example. Well, I'm the interesting thing about this, I think, is that as originally shot, uh, this film kind of closes the door on another sequel. <laughs> yeah. And then they sort of, I don't <laughs> know the process that went into ditching that ending, <laughs> but yeah. You know, there, there, there's no doubt that that final ending of The Road, which is, you know, I'm, I'm glad they went with that ending, not for the possibility of sequels, but just because it's a better ending, because it's such an iconic ending. But, you know, that that is so clearly designed to go, yeah, we, we don't want to say that there's definitely not going to be Terminators in the future anymore. I think that it's interesting, too, that you have the first movie that so strongly comes down on the idea of your fate is set. And it really is that mm-hmm. first movie is really a, just a complete closed loop of, you know, ending with the Sarah having the photo taken of her that we know will be this big motivator for Kyle. Um, and then and then this movie obviously takes the complete opposite road. And now it's saying, you know, you're, you know, time can be rewritten to quote Doctor Who, but that your, you know, your fate is not set. And I, I know a, a lot of people have a problem with the sequels sort of then flip flopping back to in some ways fate is set. I actually don't mind this franchise being one that keeps alternating between <laughs> destiny exists and destiny doesn't exist. I actually think that's kind of an interesting like inner conflict for this trilogy to have. But it is interesting that just looking at these first two films that they take such opposite approaches to the idea of what. I don't know, sort of how time travel works, what's set, what isn't. That's why I think these movies are like secretly smart, smarter than, like I said before, they sometimes get credit for because the action's so good. But I think the ideas and the way it tackles time travel is so interesting and smart and subtle. 
And that to me, I think is what really gets me hooked on this franchise. The weird thing is that like James Cameron made the first film. So it's almost like he changed his mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, uh, I sort of think I like that they have the, that's that philosophical thing to wrestle with. And I think part of what makes Terminator 2 so good is that it does wrestle with quite some quite big ideas. Like, yeah, it's got a bratty kid as the lead and yeah, it's about stuff blowing up, but also it doesn't, doesn't shy away from these big ideas. Like, you know, can you change the course of your life? And, you know, what does it mean to to be human, basically? Yeah. And there is that massive question um, over Sarah's actions in the second half of the film, mm. where Sarah is, is at one point willing to kill someone who is introduced to us as being a really nice mm. guy who only wants to do good with a family. And okay, you know, he's kind of obsessed with his work and he's a bit kind of, you know... But the point is, is that, you know, this is not... He is not a villain who has created Skynet for evil. He's a good guy. Yeah. Miles Dyson, we're talking about just just for anyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not quite up. And, and, and she's willing to kill him in front of his family, although I think the fact that his family's there is, is pretty much the thing that stops her. But, you know, she's she's willing to go and kill him because doing so, she believes, will save three billion lives. And that is, you know, that is any even, you know, the question is kind of put to him. And I think even even sort of he recognises that she's not necessarily wrong, but the way that the film kind of has to play it is that she's she's kind of the baddie at that point mm-hmm. because she's she's going to kill this nice guy. Yeah. yeah, it's like she basically becomes a Terminator in the scene where she's going to kill Dyson. Yeah, completely, yeah. I, what I love about, I feel like this franchise, a lot of modern blockbusters, it's like they have the character, it's like they retroactively work what the characters are doing to maximize the action scenes. You know, it feels like there's some sometimes like yeah. backwriting of that. <laughs> and in this film is so thoughtful about thinking through the reality of both what the first film set up and then what this film sets up. So it's like, okay, if you were a young woman and you're told that you're going to be pregnant with this with a son who will save humanity, the remains of humanity from this massive judgment day nuclear holocaust it's like okay so then how would you live and how would you raise your son and i think a lot of films wouldn't necessarily take the time to like ask that question and and go to such a dark place as this one does like i don't know i think sarah's arc is so interesting between the two films because she's so normal in the regular one but then it's like of course the pressure of what she knows she has to do causes her to become like almost fully lose her in trying to save humanity she almost loses or she does lose her own humanity and then you see this like complicated relationship with John sort of processing mm. sort of the weight. Like, I think because he's so young, it's like he doesn't even fully understand the weight of the future and maybe doesn't even or certainly doesn't fully believe it. But also had this unusual childhood where he was raised to know everything about <laughs> guns and breaking into ATMs and, you know, all these skills. And then I think exactly with the Dyson character, it's like. I just love I love the way that this film handles Dyson and Joe Morton's performance is great. But but again, not making him a villain is so interesting. And then again, and then again, making him smart enough that someone comes to kill him. Obviously, he's deeply upset at first. But then when she was like, hey, I'm trying to kill you because what you're doing will inadvertently kill all of humanity. He almost immediately is like, oh, yeah, I get that. I probably would have done that, too. No worries. Let's work together. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. One of the things one of the things I like about Miles Dyson is that he's just like. 
he's he's just doing his job like he's he's excited about the developments that he's making based on mm. this like really cool artifact that they've got hold of like it's, it's a really mm. realistic treatment it's he's not like some mustache twirling bad guy who's like trying to take over the planet or something he's just he's got this technology and he wants to see where what he can do with it and where it will lead <laughs> like it's a really it's a it's a mm. relatable take on that sort of mm-hmm. person Mm. And yeah, as soon as he as soon as he sees the living version of the robot come back to the present, it really snaps him out of that whole thing. And he's like, no, let's get rid of this stuff. Like, it, it has to be destroyed immediately. And I think that's why this franchise is such an interesting time travel franchise, even though in a lot of ways it doesn't necessarily feel like one because it's mostly just set in the present day. And like the time travel is just something, it's almost just like a given circumstances. But I think that all of the characters have to so interestingly grapple with you know, learning what your fate will be and then how do you handle that and how can you change it or how can you not change it? Like, to me, that's the most interesting part of any time travel series. Like, the the fun of it might be watching people hop through time, but it's the questions of how can you change the future? How would you live your life differently if you knew where it was coming? Is that a burden or a blessing? Mm -hmm. I think that that's what makes time travel so interesting and also relatable, right? Because like you all, I feel like any human is like, oh, I wish I could see what my life was like in 10 years and, you know, then guide it either towards that or away from that or whatever. It's like a very relatable idea to both want to know the future and be terrified of knowing the future. And I think (laughs) that makes the emotional reality of Terminator feel like grounded for as like ridiculous of an action blockbuster as it is i feel like there's like you could there's a lot to analyze in terms of what all the characters are going through while we're on the subject of of kind of miles dyson and the and the skynet stuff and that and that side of things one of the things i have found i really enjoyed about it on this watch was how kind of rooted it is in like computer technology and like recognizable computer technology and by that i mean that sort of like everything about the terminator not so much the t1000 and i think that i think there's issues with the portrayal there but it's really kind of it's like a believable extrapolation of what computers like kind of were like then and how they work the way it's kind of all based around you know he literally has a cpu chip in his head and i love the sequence when they take out the chip from Mm -hmm. um arnie's head the way that when he's kind of guiding her through the process of unlocking it and taking that out and all of that and it's like and the little moment when um it flashes to his vision and the little warnings flashing port open (laughs) it's just it's little things like that it's just really you know at the end you know this is a, a film and a film series about like ludicrously advanced technology taking over the world and creating robots that come back but it's it's just got that thing of it's it is a kind of forwards extrapolation of as i said maybe not so much what things are now because obviously everything now is so much more about um like connectivity technology but certainly like the physical side of of like computer technology is is really present in this i think because it's and it's because it's from such an interesting time of the kind of the you know the late 80s going into the 90s and i just i I just really got a kick out of that this time around it wasn't just like you know magical computer mm-hmm. stuff you just you don't just explain everything away with oh that's because it's magical future technology it it feels like a believable extrapolation with one exception which is the t1000 i feel like i feel like the sequels do a bit of that they're just like mm. is it terminator 3 where skynet is like a distributed system or something and they're like skynet is every computer and you're like okay is <laughs> it though is it <laughs> There's there's a certain I think this is one of those 90s films that you really hold up as maybe T1000 
aside, although I do mostly like the visual effects, they're like, this movie still looks really good. I would put this up there oh, with Jurassic absolutely. Park mm. as one where it's yeah. like, oh yeah, the use mm. of practical effects. It's the it's using the right things for the the right tools for the right job rather than just one tool for all jobs, basically. I think even even T one thousand, I think, is stylized enough that it, it yeah. still holds up against modern mm. like CGI standards. The thing the thing that I notice most in Terminator two is how much of the action is done with models. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that is clear to me now when I'm watching it. I'm like, well, that is a that is a tiny helicopter on a tiny model <laughs> highway. But that's it. Mm. Well, and I think in addition to the amazing like practical stunts and effects and like clearly they're driving real trucks and motorcycles and all that stuff, there's like a certain I don't know, I always think of movies like this as like theatrical in the sense of something you would watch on stage and that you know, you're just watching a human being pretending to be a robot and he just does it so well. Like Arnold does that so well. There's like, there's such a fun to watching something that's practical and tangible in the sense of the only artifice of it is what the actors on screen are doing. And I think that scene where they take the CPU out, you know, there are some effects obviously to to Mm. make it look like it's in his head, but the fun of that scene is like, you could do that scene almost exactly the same on stage, right? Like because it's really just about Arnold's yeah. reaction to it. And it's the the weirdness of seeing you cut into someone's head, but the person is so calm and, and them talking through it. And then the moment where he's just kind of shuts down and then comes back up, there's like, I don't know, that theatrical tangibility, not just to the big special effects scenes, but just to the small, all the small elements of this movie have that too. And I think that's part of what makes it hold up so well. Well, that's, that's a really good point. Because like, Seb, I don't know if you remember this, being about the same age as I was but like we used to play like Terminator in the playground and we would copy like the way that T-1000 ran and you know the mannerisms that Mm. he had (laughs) because they're really like distinct and you don't you don't need to be able to dissolve into a puddle of liquid metal (laughs) (laughs) but it's more like you don't you don't need like crazy CGI to replicate the the characters that are on screen like in again I'm I'm not going to keep going to the sequels until we're ready to but you know in Dark Fate there is a Terminator in that there's a you know an evil terminator doing the t1000 thing but it doesn't have the same tangibility Mm. or the same like distinctness that robert patrick's performance does it's kind of the same in the as as what you're talking about in the 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 final scene when like when when the t1000 is basically destroying the t800 and okay you know he like he's 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 missing an arm by that point and is again you've got the practical effects of his face and stuff but the they are you start to all of a sudden get a load of servo noises and the combination of those little whirring servo noises and yet again a lot of it is you know it's it, it's acting stuff that i'm not sure arnie gets critical because the, the the typical line to fall back on with arnie in these films is oh well of course he's good as the terminator yeah. <laughs> because he's only got to play a robot so he hasn't got to actually act and that's like yeah as you say that that's not actually true like there, there is a skill in convincingly moving a certain way and and i really really kind of feel it in that scene when when the T1000's jabbed the spike through him and he's trying to reach out for the shotgun it does it feels so kind of tangible and real yeah it's interesting to note you know there, there is a kind of obvious comparison to to Jurassic Park in terms of the practical effects and the 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 close up practical effects in both instances mm. are Stan Winston and it's like it's Stan Winston on that unbelievable run of form that he had where it's just like everything he touched was like absolutely amazing visually but you know to do this in 91 and Batman Returns in 92 he did the penguin in Batman Returns and then Jurassic Park in 93 but it is a similar thing 
of, yeah, you need the CGI for the melty, shapeshifty T-1000. And I think they're quite clever in how they quite often cut away or have him duck out of shot before he does the final bit of transformation into Robert Patrick, where it's like the technology couldn't really manage that yet. So they're, they're quite clever in not doing it badly. They just don't show it. But for everything else, yeah, like there's, there's nothing else in the film that needs to be CGI at this point. And it, and it, it feels so much better for being the practical stuff. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So I feel like if there is a divisive aspect of this movie, it's John Connor as a character. And I'm curious how you guys felt about the performance, like maybe when you were watching it closer to being his age and then how you feel about watching it (laughs) now. You can. okay, so you can see 
it's not a perfect performance. Like, he is a weak link in the cast. But also, I'm trying to think of, like, truly bad child performances. He's not uh, Jake Lloyd, right, in Phantom Menace. <laughs> For example, it's just that he's in a he's in a movie with some proper massive stars who are masters of their craft, <laughs> of their particular craft, shall we say. And I think he he is a believable enough character that it works. Like he's a little bit bratty and, you know, a little bit emo, but the before performance <laughs> is, yeah, <laughs> emo before emo was a thing. But um, I think the performance is good enough to carry the movie. Like, it's not fantastic, but it's good enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I, the character is a little bit annoying uh, because he's a kind of high-pitched, voiced, whiny kid in this kind of film. And they kind of pretty much always kind of are. But apart from maybe a couple of moments where uh, he just maybe pushes it a little bit in terms of how much he's kind of hyper-squealing at, <laughs> Arnie, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a massive issue. I do think the character is just kind of a bit of a dick, but he's a ten-year-old boy who's had a say. difficult life up to that point, and and has be already been told at this age that he's pretty much the most important human being yeah. alive. I do really like that moment where he says, like, I'm I'm supposed to become this great leader, so maybe it's about time people actually started listening to what I say. <laughs> it's like fair point. <laughs> The bit I like is when he's uh, saying about his mum and he's like, yeah, you know, my mum's a psycho or whatever. And he's like crying when he's saying it. Mm. Like, that's such a good moment that you get this insight into like, he's clearly had a really tough life. He doesn't really like his mum. And he he feels that he's been extremely hard done by, which is fair, like you Mm. would. But (laughs) at the same time, like he's still crying because he's a kid. Yeah. I have such a high tolerance for child performances and just for bratty child characters in general like i i wouldn't even stand up for jake lloyd and phantom menace i don't think he's a bad necessarily bad performance but i mean i agree with you that probably edward furlong is not like he would not be a top tier child performer for me per se but i think i actually really like how the character is conceptualized on the page and in the performance but i think more so on the page like the harshness and the sort of like, you get the sense that his performance of brattiness is a performance, like, is a sort of shield he's put up. And, like, I find yeah. there's just to be something so sweet and heartbreaking about, like, he gets a robot, like, an indestructible robot best friend. And all he wants to do is, like, slightly rag on some people he thinks are bullies and then, like, immediately go rescue his mom. Like, to me, that's such a little boy sweet instinct. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like... I don't like I don't care what my future role is. I don't care that I'm supposed to be this great thing. Like my mom's in trouble and I need to go immediately save her. It's just like so sweet. Yeah. And I, to me, that really balances out the like, you know, performative brattiness and <laughs> teaching the Terminator all the terrible 90s slang and whatever. <laughs> I, I do think just you mentioned that scene about the, the the bit with the books don't those two guys initially come over to help him because he's been shouting about the fact that he's being like, kidnapped. what yeah, they see is a kid being grabbed by a massive adult <laughs> man who looks like arnie they go over to help and then, and then almost die and absolutely yeah. gets arnie to beat them up and he nearly gets like yeah it's horrific. i think that's his least likable moment in the film although i do like the turn when he and again i think this is such a little boy thing it's like he wants them to be sort of beaten up 
beaten up a little bit, but then yeah. as soon as like the gun comes out, he's like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Like he I doesn't want, have, it. He doesn't yeah, want he actual has, consequences. Right, exactly. And I do think that's a good performance moment when he freaks out about the gun and like you know stops him from killing them. It's like him first realizing what the stakes are. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing about the no killing reminds me of. I feel like I've seen people criticize the zero casualties moment as being like when i talked at the start about how this is this is this could so easily be the daft family version of the terminator and the, and the one where it jumps the shark and all of that and i'm pretty sure i've seen people talk negatively about that moment as being too silly and too much of a gag where where do you stand on that moment where he shoots all the cops and there's no casualties and you get that flash up i mean this movie is the ultimate have your cake and eat it too you know in terms of like oh no one's dying don't worry you can enjoy everyone getting shot viciously mm. and don't think about the fact that they will all have health <laughs> they were issues dying for the rest of their <laughs> surrounded by their lives. families yeah. they'll yeah. never you know <laughs> regain full mobility and the, you know, all of these horrible things that would happen if oh yeah shot they'll the live kneecaps. yeah a lot of people get shot in the yeah. kneecaps in this oh, film God, they it's really so do. grim isn't it <laughs> it's really grim so i think it's a little bit cheap yeah. but i but i also think this yeah. is such so standard for blockbusters now where it's like mm. oh yeah don't worry they saved everyone don't think about it well is it um <laughs> is it batman begins where batman essentially drives a tank through uh, a police yeah. blockade and then <laughs> it's like it's a miracle there were no casualties and you're like yeah it really was and he's batman he should be taking a lot more care than that yeah no i see i, I mean I, I i love it here i think i think it's a great gag because I, I, I think that's the point it's a gag and it's a gag that the film gets away with and actually yeah. from a logical point of view it can get away with it because the whole point is he's a terminator yeah. and he can yeah, do he's, he's obeying so. order he was given so yeah yeah i i I like it and i think i i I feel like if you're if you're saying oh that's not serious enough for this film i i think i I think this film manages to plant itself in such a way that it can do the heavy serious stuff that it's doing and it can get away with having fun with it as well yeah this film is goofy (laughs) i tell you the only bit of this film that wait hang on because Okay, you you guys fact check me. He does say, I need a vacation, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? Where did that come from? Yeah, I'm not sure oh. where that comes from because that that feels like, is there a cut scene where he's been taught that bit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one threw me a little bit on this watch. It's just, I remember thinking, like, that's the one bit where you're like, that's too Arnie for yeah. the Terminator. That's fair. I think that one pushes it. I think Hasta La Vista Baby is fine in the yeah. context, but I think that one pushes it. We should probably yeah. acknowledge, I think that there's a couple <laughs> different versions of this, like different extended editions and stuff. Yeah, because I didn't realise, because I, I watched just the version that's just available on Sky Cinema in the UK, and I didn't realise that that was the special edition version. And I wasn't sure if I'd, I think I had seen the special edition, but I couldn't remember which bits were mm-hmm. extra. The only reason I knew definitely Definitely that I was watching an extra bit was when Michael Bain turned up. And that's what I knew wasn't in the theatrical. But I felt like the opening, the opening stuff with like where it shows you the war felt a bit longer to me than I remembered it being. So I don't know if that was extra in the extended edition or not. Yeah, I similarly, I believe the version that's available to rent in at least American iTunes is also the extended edition. It's like two and a half hours long. Um, I think, yeah, I was trying to read up on what some of the changes are. I think maybe the scene where John teaches the Terminator to smile is an extended edition thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but up. I didn't yeah. think any of these, like, they all fit pretty seamlessly to me. There was nothing where I was like, oh, mm. this is one of those, you know, things where they added scenes in just for the sake of adding them in. I think it, it plays pretty seamlessly. 
I can tell you the only thing I know for sure that is in the special edition and not the theatrical cut is um when you see the T one thousand go out and see the dog's collar. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's a, that, yeah. that he's been fooled. Yeah, I I think. With the possible exception of the Michael Bain scene, I think the I think there's a, a, a I keep making comparisons to Aliens. Sorry, it's going to keep coming up. Um, I I feel very strongly that the version of Aliens to watch is the special edition version, and not just because it's the one that's got Matt McDonald in. But I I generally do. I think you need that that stuff, and I, I don't agree with the people who say it slows it down because I think part of the beauty of Aliens is the longer it takes to get to the action, the better it feels when it does. With this, I I don't feel really strongly either way i think you could watch either version and i think if you're watching the shorter version i don't think you miss the extra scenes and i think if you're watching the extended version i don't think any of those scenes feel like oh that's too long or that's padded it out or that shouldn't be here i think it's just fine either way basically and i know there are other versions as well but i'm not entirely sure what the difference is with some of those apart from that alternate ending the um the cpu removal scene where they Mm. where they change a cpu is only in the extended cut Oh, is it? Yeah. In the original version, in the theatrical version, like he just learns. Whereas in mm. the in the theatr- in they the extended explain. cut, they specifically put him into into write mode, don't they? Okay, so if you were listening to this totally confused about what scene we were talking about earlier, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. I, okay. Well, in which case I must that's weird because the Michael Bain scene felt more new to me than the head opening scene. Like <laughs> so I must have seen the the extended edition more often. Because, as I say, like, well, as I said before, that's like one of literally one of my favorite bits of the whole film. Okay, I completely recant. You should watch the special <laughs> edition so that you get that scene. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I've just remembered another one as well, which is at the end when the T1000 is impersonating John. In the mm. extended cut, there's a shot where he looks down at his feet and sees that they're uh, like glued to the floor, they've melted to the floor from the heat. Mm. Yeah. And that's what makes him realize that it's. When he's impersonating T-1000. Sarah, right? It's yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah, 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 and John. Yeah, that was in the version yeah. I watched too. Do we want to talk about Sarah then, beloved Linda Hamilton? <laughs> yes, <laughs> the bit where like the introduction of her in this movie is so fucking yeah. cool. Everything she does in this <laughs> like, movie is incredibly yeah. cool. <laughs> she's got like turned her like psych cell into a gym, and she's got extremely prison buff. <laughs> Like, it's a real inspiration for those of us who are currently stuck at home because <laughs> of her virus. <laughs> like, if Sarah Connor can do Truly. that in, in a cell, those pull-ups. we can all look like that. It's one of the things from this film that, again, I think kind of watching it now, like, you do kind of take for granted. It's like, you know that that that's Sarah it's like the popular image of Sarah Connor is not Sarah Connor from the Terminator it's Sarah yeah, Connor from like this film hugging, hugging a lizard and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has a massive perm but I think so it's it's really it's really easy to just miss or, or or as I say take for granted the fact that this was such a big shift for that character and such a big shock and also you know relatively unusual still for a female character in a film like this to be presented like that i mean james cameron had done it with aliens kind of to differing degrees with both ripley and vasquez but this this was unusual and this is another aspect of this I mean, film it's, that still, even... it's still unusual right yeah because even even when you get action heroes in cinema now they're still i feel like they're still fairly feminine and non-threatening like mm. captain marvel is well, <laughs> she's not scary right, right? not like sarah connor is right. scary. sarah's like almost an mm. anti-hero in this at least for 
for chunks of it. Mm-hmm. Jeez, could you could you imagine that? Because when you said Captain Marvel, and I was already thinking, God, the reaction to that, the bike theft scene in Captain Marvel from some people on the internet. Like, can you imagine the reaction of the internet if this film came out now? <laughs> I I think this is the like the tra- like you're saying it really is easy to take for granted the transformation between movies, but like what a cool thing to do. Like this is the equi- I think this is the the surprise of like Chubby Thor and Endgame, you know, that's like the only thing I can equate it to where you're like, "Whoa, this was not yeah, at all what yeah. I was expecting." And Sarah is super competent in that first movie, and I I think it feels the fact that she is almost infallible in this movie feels so earned because we've seen where she started and this movie really shows like the amount of work yeah well it's like she she survived before and so now you're like imagine imagine how good she'd be if she had time to prepare (laughs) and this is what terminator 2 is like it's Mm. it's sarah when she knows what might happen yeah i think Mm. my favorite action sequence in the whole movie is just her little breakout of the Mm. uh, hospital where she's being Held and she's like, okay, I'm just gonna take one paper clip and a mop handle and single-handedly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take down everyone in this facility. I think the the way she like injures all of those people as well is somehow <laughs> worse because she's just a person. Yeah. It's knees again. Like a person with a with a mop handle and she fucks everyone up. Even before the the, uh, the Terminator has been shooting everyone in the kneecaps, you've already had it said <laughs> yeah. that she stabbed him in the knee with a pen and then she breaks his knees with oh, that God. mop handle from behind. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I, again, I think I think one of the things that's that's really good is is that it's it's not just that like you know they make Sarah like the badass heroine. I mean, actually, as I say, it's kind of she's she's not really the heroine here. I mean, she's she's actually she's in opposition to to John and the mm-hmm. Terminator quite a lot. Not just with the bit with going and shooting Miles, but you know she wants to destroy the Terminator at that point, and John has to stop her. Like she's damaged by what's happened, and that you know again that first film is so much obviously about you know literally the plot of that film is Sarah surviving being attacked by the Terminator. That's what the first film is about, and then. As of the start of this film, it's like, well, she's survived in the sense that she's not dead, but it has also completely ruined her life. It's she hasn't just walked away from that. It's 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 really damaged her and put her in a situation that continues to damage her. <laughs> it's not like Die Hard 2. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I like that the film doesn't cop out of continuing to explore the consequences of that. So as I say, you can have scenes where you're like well, Sarah's in the wrong here. It doesn't mean that I don't like her or I'm not rooting mm-hmm. for her, but but she's not right here. It's not just a thing of what the hero does is always correct. And that's refreshing yeah. for this kind of film. The really. scene where she first sees the turn where she first sees Arnold again is like Linda oh. Hamilton is so good at just the pure <laughs> terror, like pure she's just in a pure reactionary state she's not even aware of anything she doesn't even realize her son's Mm. there like her need to get away she's so Mm -hmm. good at conveying that sense of fear Mm. it's it's because as well they've set it up of like her being like gaslit the whole film so like yeah this thing it's all in your head like it's not real and then there it is in front of her and it is real and you just you see her switch from like the hyper competent you know, soldier of fortune, Sarah Connor, to the like scared 
girl she was from the first film where she's just like oh fuck like here it is and it's come to kill me again i do think that there's a there's definitely a reading of these films and of sarah's arc in particular it's just like this metaphor for having anxiety because i think that 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 (laughs) sense of like i know something (laughs) bad is coming and i need to prepare for it Mm -hmm. and no one believes me like that's how i i personally feel quite often and particularly in these you know coronavirus times (laughs) like they were i really sort of just my desire to meal plan all of my family's meals and stock up on food and the certainty I had that if that did not happen in the order that I needed it to, that nothing would be okay. Like, I I think that there's a, there's a relatable, a more day-to-day relatable metaphor through the heightened thing that Sarah has gone through. I mean, that, that sort of is the Terminator sequel that needs to happen for the noughties, right? Or for the, you know, twenties, whatever in now. (laughs) Like, because that's, that's like the prevalent reading of, or it should be the the prevalent reading of, of what it feels like to know the future, mm-hmm. like to have those things eating away at your daily life. Like, that's a much bigger issue than like, what if computers kill yeah. us? It's like, no, mm-hmm. what if our mental health, like, fucks yeah. us up for the rest of time? Like, modern life is so difficult in so many ways that because of technology you know, that we're ill-equipped to handle because technology has changed everything so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the Terminator sequel, so we should write. <laughs> and that's why the time travel premise is so good, because most, you know, like a Marvel movie, it's like, here's the bad guy, they're going to destroy the end of the world, you have to stop them. But this movie is like, someone came back and just tells you the bad guy wins, and now you just need to live with that. And that's such a different <laughs> setup for a film. And even mm-hmm. the, you know, the stakes of whether or not she'll succeed, like our any other movie, it would be a guarantee that the heroes are going to win in the end. And this movie, that is not certain, because that's not really, I mean, to some extent, it's how the last one ended. But, there, you know, there was such a pessimistic reading there. Like, I don't think you necessarily, well, I don't know, because I watched this movie once it was, you know, already cultural osmosis. But I have to imagine going in, there is not necessarily a certainty that they were just going to avert the end of the world in this one, because it's so different from how the first one ends. Mm. Have Have we all seen the deleted ending from No, but I read about it on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. God. This is, is this is what I mean earlier about how it's. I'm so glad that they ditched it. It is, it is one of the all time great choices to cut. Will you describe scene. it for people that don't know what it is? Um, so it's it's set in like a future Los Angeles, and it's Sarah Connor sitting in the park, and she's got some really bad make like aging makeup on her, and she's just talking about how great it was that everything worked out fine, mm. and like she's watching is she watching John play with like her grandson? Yeah, so it's it's John and her grand and her granddaughter, granddaughter and I think the, I think yeah. the child might even also be called Sarah. So it's John played by the actor who plays John in the opening scene as well. Right. Um, so it's an adult John, and although I still think I still there's a bit of a weird age discrepancy because I think it's like a, a she she looks too much they don't look like they've aged at the same rate from where they are at the end of terminator put it that way but yeah it's just that it what it basically does where you know obviously where we all know this film ends with okay we know we've changed the future but now we have absolutely no idea what's coming next and we don't know if we've stopped it for good all we know is that like this thing probably won't happen on this date and that's that's all all we know and it's an uncertain future and it's the open road and oh it's such a good ending this basically says yes it was all fine <laughs> like you know it doesn't say there are no terminators after sarah connor's grown old and died but it basically says that yeah 
that all of that stuff didn't happen. John instead fights his cause against Skynet, or I don't even know if it's called Skynet, but basically it implies that he's like like fighting through like the Senate and stuff like that. So he's sort of there's obviously still stuff going on with artificial intelligence development, but his way of fighting it is like through politics instead, <laughs> rather than on the battlefield. And it's it's just yeah it's it, it's two main problems are it's too hokey and it, and it's definitely too kind of definitive and and clear about what happens and the other big problem is the aging makeup where you know this film is so well remembered for its visual effects and if that was the last thing we saw of it it would be you know the, we are we are not talking like um marvel levels of aging technology no, we are talking like applying a layer of latex around your mm. head and calling that wrinkles yeah it's really just terrible <laughs> mm. i would recommend everyone goes and watches it <laughs> yeah it's on it's on youtube it's very easy to find the ending yeah. of this as is i mean it's certainly hopeful in some sense but you really mostly are ending on the sadness of the terminator having to sacrifice himself like i forgot that how yeah. quickly we go from that to just that last shot of the road john has yeah. lost his surrogate robo dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i think is I mean, to me, that's another one of those iconic... Like, that was certainly... I feel like the thumbs up going oh. into the lava was one of those images I saw well before I saw the actual <laughs> film. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you... Uh, uh, Caroline, you, you must have seen Spaced, mm-hmm. right? So I had I, I didn't see Spaced when it was first on. It was a few years later, and it was... A, I, I can't remember if it was before or after Shaun of the Dead came out, but it was around the time that people were talking about it again. And I finally went, okay, I'm going I'm to watch this show. I'm going to take the plunge. And the fact that, like, literally in that opening scene of the very first episode, the very first reference joke, and I think it's pretty much the first joke that the show makes, is Tim saying, you think I'm not emotional? I could be emotional. I cried like a child at the end of Terminator 2. With the with the thumb and the the lava and like as soon as that line, I was like, yeah, I, I'm gonna love this. <laughs> I do feel like this is one of those famous. I mean, maybe I feel like we as a culture have moved, you know, less away from this now. But it's one of those like, ooh, even men will cry at, you know, this mm. movie. This is a real tearjerker. Um, but I do think yeah. that ending is very true, <laughs> sweet and sad and well earned and a little bit hokey, but in the right kind of way it's totally hokey but yeah I, th- I think the film has earned it and i don't i don't mind the logical jump of how can he do that when his head and his cpu have already been melted in the same way as and just just to kind of to, to briefly touch on this because i mean it's not a major issue but when i was saying before about the issue that i have technologically with the t1000 is where where is his cpu <laughs> like mm-hmm. when he is literally reduced like to just blobs and he reforms like where where is the bit that actually controls him because that that bit doesn't make sense but i assumed he had evolved they had made it was so advanced he didn't need that yeah it's it's distributed throughout every cell of his you know robo body but then how does it yeah it doesn't i don't know (laughs) maybe maybe it's 5g but that's how he can he can track bits of himself, right? How do all the bits communicate with each other? But maybe that's fine. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. <laughs> Here's my one little, my one little, not even plot hole. But why does he come back naked if he can make his own clothes? He doesn't like if his clothes are just his metal forming clothes. He's only coming back <laughs> naked to trick us, the audience. Can he not? 
because I mean, there's obviously there is the thing of like they come back naked because it gets burned off by time travel, don't they? But is it not? Yeah, I was going to say because the whole point about him is that he can they they specify, and I think this is a this is your classic example of we have to put some kind of artificial limit on what this thing or person mm-hmm. can do in order to give us drama because if otherwise they can just do anything, and the limit they put on it is he can only transform into something that he has sampled the genetic material of or whatever, which basically in in layman's terms is he can only shapeshift into someone who he's mm-hmm. touched and or killed which you know is, is is nice because that means that you have that ongoing sequence of every time you see him as somebody that means that he's killed them and it's not just a he can literally just he can't just be arnie at any point that would make life like so much easier for him he can't be sarah until the very end when he's actually been in contact with her that kind of thing but yeah at the start when he arrives he could surely take the form that he had before he right. left, like, like presumably he had clothes before he left. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if if you've ever seen It Follows, it would be a lot scarier if the Terminators were naked. <laughs> like, there's that uncanny valley thing of just like, why isn't this person wearing clothes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we obviously have talked a little bit about Robert Patrick and and how good he is at being kind of scary and intimidating in this. One of the things that I really like, and I presume it is something that they've done deliberately is i think i presume we all know and if listeners don't know that the original plan for the original terminator was that lance henriksen was going to play the terminator and it would have been a very different proposition with an actor like him and an actor of his physicality and stature compared to arnold schwarzenegger's you know the the terminator naturally becomes a very different thing if it's arnie i really like that the t-1000 is kind of this film going here's what the first film would have been like if lance henriksen had been the terminator Mm -hmm. i mean it sort of works though doesn't it for t-1000 because he's a lot Mm. more nimble and stealthy whereas arnie is like a tank yeah, I, I mean that that contrast is is so well played. It, yeah. it really is. Although I'd also like that. Obviously, yeah. While the T one thousand is nimble and and stealthy, like when he's on his feet, I love any time that character is driving a truck and is just <laughs> using a truck as a battering ram. Like he gets to drive a truck. Like I'm sure at least three times in this. There's film. a lot of trucks in this film. <laughs> oh, I mean, this film is so good at chase sequences, and like I'm not always a sucker for chase sequences. Like I think, yeah, I, I generally don't always them, do it for but me. This but this film is so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they are just like there are there are few better things than that shot of the truck smashing through the, where John's like down on the lower down bit and he's like oh it's all right because the truck will have to yeah. come all the way around to get to me <laughs> yeah. and it just smashes through and then obviously that's where you've got the bike and the shotgun and the thing I like in in that sequence is how when the Terminator comes up when T eight hundred comes up behind behind him and grabs him mm. off his bike like yeah just yanks him off this little dirt bike and lets it fall under the truck and they're like on this giant fucking harley yeah <laughs> like it's such a cool moment of like no you need a real you need a real vehicle <laughs> for this yeah i i think it kind of logically makes sense too that we go from big bulky t800 terminator to the t1000 because i just follow like you know you have the big our big oh, yeah. com- our computers <laughs> used to be so big down yeah. to the sleek thing like that just sort of intuitively yeah, uh, yeah. makes sense to me again it's, yeah it's it's that extrapolation of technology and the fact that yeah 
Yeah, although the sequels then fail to really build on that. <laughs> yeah, agreed. It is fair to say. It also occurred to me, I feel like Tom Cruise just totally stole his run from Robert Patrick in mm-hmm. this movie. Like, it's <laughs> literally exactly the same with the arms pumping. Yeah, well, he knows how cool it looks. Yeah. <laughs> but what's his reason for it? I mean, he's, not, he's not a robot, or is he? <laughs> it's, it's a, a robot Thetans. created by L. Ron Hubbard. Thetans are the reason, yeah. I also like how another like evolution of the T-1000 is that it's better at the social interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, when you interact with the turn with Arnold, it's like clearly this man is a robot, <laughs> like, you know, even even if he looks human. But Robert Patrick can do the sort of like yeah. personable thing. I love those scenes when he's being a policeman and like being a being a nice, I mean, a little bit creepy. But again, I, I don't know how much you're reading the creepiness into we know who he really is. But yeah, those those scenes where he's just like being the, the friendly cop on the beats. Uh, yeah, the one, really the good. line that I always come back to, like, you know how some lines just lodge in your head? Mm. Some mm-hmm. some things like whenever I see a good motorbike, I'm always like, say, that's a nice <laughs> that's a bike. Nice bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very and I like so. that the one thing that gets him caught a little bit is that he's, that he's too nice when he's pretending to be the foster mom. Yeah. And that's how they, they first see him out. Although Such I always feel like foster parents are dead. <laughs> Such a good line. It's amazing. I feel like this movie, it's a great line. I feel like this movie needed to make the foster parents more overtly evil for how much i think we're supposed to not care about yeah them. Like, they're just kind of well what well, it's just, just the dad's like kind clean of your douchey, room and then yeah. everyone's like wow these are horrific foster parents and i'm like well it just seems like i don't know it didn't they didn't they were not presented as bad as yeah they didn't deserve to be murdered mm. <laughs> yeah as people talked about them yeah but then that the the image of like the dad with just the knife yeah. through the milk carton into him like it, this film is so good at being brutal and shocking without being like too gory. Mm. Well, it's the fact that you don't see the impact, but you hear the impact, and you and you, then the camera starts to pan, and then you yeah. know what you're gonna see, but you still don't know quite how grisly it's gonna be, and you you always remember that image of the milk carton <laughs> on the just dangling. Plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. what you that's what you think of more. Yeah, is the the milk carton just dangling off the edge of like a giant sword. Mm. It's the way she like <laughs> calmly changes hands while she's on the phone. Yeah, and then yeah. just reaches out, and you hear it happen off off camera so it's all going on your head it's such a smart piece of direction Mm. i also really like the rule of that the t-1000 can't make complex machinery or guns but then it's like oh but he could definitely make knives i'm like (laughs) great this is great like playground logic Mm -hmm. i'm totally with it I would have really followed anything, but I feel like that's a really fun like rule to have. Well, yeah, again, definitely. it's just to stop him literally turning himself into a minigun. Into a gun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, f- I feel I feel like this movie might be the the first place where I heard the term minigun or saw a minigun. It's like you know, Doom Doom called it a chain gun and was out around about the same time. But mm-hmm. I think I think this film did a lot for the for the popularization of of the minigun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are just such satisfying shoot 'em up. In addition to all the great chase stuff, mm. like there is great. This is a great. I mean, I feel slightly uncomfortable I saying this, mean. but this is like a great gun movie. <laughs> yeah. Like the stuff they do with it is very, 
like the epitome of movie cool gun stuff. It's because there's a such a variety of, of weaponry. Yeah. It's like every time he fires a gun, it's doing something different. And I like that every single character is good with guns. I feel like usually there's the one character where you have to teach them, but it's like, oh no, I mean, obviously the Terminators... <laughs> yeah, they're all survivalists. ...are good with them, and then Sarah's good, and then she raised her 10-year-old son to be like, <laughs> she could just yell like, you know, reload this gun, and he immediately knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, like Seb said in the intro, the the bit where he's swinging the shotgun around. I mean, it just doesn't just doesn't get any better than that. Right. <laughs> okay, so I also have this... I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about this as parents, but I feel like there's a certain... There's a certain reading of this film as, like, sort of the horror of being a parent in that Sarah's so concerned about John's future and, like, protecting him in the future that she's not taking care of him in a certain way in the present. Like, it's such a complex relationship between them because she can't really show any love or affection for him. And Mm -hmm. yet at the same time, everything she's doing is rooted in love for him. It's like, I don't know, I feel like it's such a complex look at this, like, dark imagining of what parenting yeah, can be it is, or can feel like it is a really nuanced version of that where it's like you're you're doing your best to give your child the tools they need to survive without you but you know to what extent if you take that too far then like they won't listen to you because they you know they still need that love yeah and are you just tra- are you preparing them or traumatizing them yeah exactly and like or under preparing them <laughs> and is it worth traumatizing them a little bit to get, you know, if the stakes are saving the world. Yeah, because, like, the scene where where he goes to rescue her and she tells him off for, like, putting himself in danger. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so... As a parent, that's so relatable because you're like, no, you, you did the thing that I was trying to tell you not to. Yeah, but it comes from such a pure... Yeah, a pure ...place on his of, point of view. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, again, that's the sort of thing that the sequels especially completely miss out. Like, they just... They mm-hmm. forget that there are moments like that in Terminator 2 and that's what makes it so good. Like it's got all these different ideas in there and they're not always foregrounded, but the more like you can just keep reading this film in various ways and it it never gets exhausted because there's just so much in it. Well, and I think we mentioned this scene before, but the moment where John's like, okay, if I'm going to be the leader, you have to start listening to me at some point. It's Mm. like, that is a really valid point on his part. But you also understand why she has the inability to let go and let him take charge. Mm -hmm. But then you understand his point of view of if that's his destiny, then at some point he does. And that to me, again, it's like, uh, it's just satisfying to watch on a surface level. But I think it has a lot of metaphorical value in terms of like how parental child relationships shift as the kid gets older and Mm -hmm. the different points of view you can have on things and like protecting someone versus smothering them and I don't know. It's like for as ridiculous as so much of this movie is, like it really is such such an like one of the most interesting mother son relationships just ever in film. I think. Hmm. I bet if you say that, I believe you because I know you count <laughs> for that sort of thing. <laughs> it's true. I do love mothers in pop culture and how they're depicted especially because this one is so you don't i mean usually moms are defined by their kind maternal Mm -hmm. lovingness like and there is a version of this film where instead of sarah becoming this warrior badass she just becomes like this smothering maternal Hmm. you know expresses her love that way and that could be an interesting movie too but I think that this is a more unusual take on that dynamic. Like, I mean, we mentioned Anakin before, but this is like the opposite of Shmi's Skywalker, where she is the like sensitive, maternal, caring person who's been like charged with raising this amazing son. And she's the opposite (laughs) way. And then Sarah's like, I will get rid of all emotion in order to take care of you. 
I mean, I, I obviously it is. You, you say from the kind of what about as a parent angle. I mean, I obviously it, it's difficult to to fully empathise with the perspective of um, you have been told that your child is literally the most important person right. on the planet and must survive in order to, that humanity <laughs> succeeds. Um, I can though empathise with the basically never ending state of crippling anxiety mm-hmm. over what mm-hmm. might happen. Like that is definitely a, an identifiable thing. Like you know, everything is a threat. <laughs> the thing about having yeah. children is like you—it's like you cut off a piece of yourself, and that piece is now walking around like fully unprotected. Yeah, and you can do your best, but you know. You can't stop everything. You can't stop them crossing the road and not looking at the right time. You can just drum it into them again yeah. and again that they have to look. Yeah. And like you you have to let go in some way. <laughs> There's always some point where you're like I've done all I can and that yeah. that anxiety is so hard to manage especially when their baby is like oh god. Mm. Now that now that Emma's 6, I'm a bit better at managing that stuff like I <laughs> you know, I feel like she is not so stupid she will put herself in active danger but babies will just <laughs> right right yeah but even then it just becomes i mean you know not to kind of divert this completely on a tangent but it's like you know i remember thinking like before lois was born it was you spend all your time worrying about you know will they actually come out okay and will everything be all right and you think well at least when when they get here they've got here and that's all right and it's like no it gets worse because then you enter a whole phase <laughs> of literally literally every single night you go to sleep you hope that they will actually you know, still be there when you wake up in the morning. Yeah, I remember you. I remember you saying to me like, <laughs> yeah. "I just, I can't wait for for Lois to be born because then the anxiety will go away." I was yeah, like, I was like, you like, have no idea. Uh, and then it reaches a point where obviously, you know, you're 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 not worried so much about like basic physical threats because they reach a point where they're old enough, like, not to fall down the stairs, and they're old enough to look both ways before they cross the road and all that kind of thing, and they know not to talk to strangers and things like that. But instead, what you what you, what you then transition into is a period of worrying about how you and other people around them might mess up their brain and how they're they're so innocent and happy and all that's going to happen is like you they are going to become more and more anxious and messed up and neurotic as time goes on (laughs) and that's what you can't protect them from yeah sometimes sometimes i do think that sorry this is where it went to the parenting (laughs) podcast section sometimes i'm just like you know how you have a few things from your childhood that you remember like Mm -hmm. a few happy memories a few traumatic ones sometimes i'm literally thinking like "Ah, is this going to be one of those things that in 20 years time she's like that that and i'm like no it was all good aside from that one day when i when i (laughs) went to trippy thought right when i went to pick up pizza from the shop instead of getting it delivered and she was like going you ruined pizza night because <laughs> it turns out what she liked was the pageantry of having it delivered yeah and i won't make that mistake yeah. again but in 25 years time yeah. she's going to be telling exactly. her friends like uh, one day he took us to the pizza restaurant to pick it up i'll be like oh come on <laughs> oh man <laughs> Anyway, back to the film. <laughs> yeah, so, so so to get us back onto the film, and I, I'm interested, kind of, what views you guys have on this because I I expressed this as a, as an opinion on Twitter while watching it, and I I don't know how strongly I can actually back it up, but it does really feel to me like. Um, you can divide like sci-fi action films into before this film 
and after. And it's not that there weren't sci-fi action films before this. I mean, we had had Aliens like five years before this, for example. Um, And when I say sci-fi action, I'm not talking about things like Star Wars, which I think are, well, A, they're a different kind of sci-fi and B, they're a different kind of action. You know, I'm talking about this kind of blockbuster action film, which was becoming more and more a thing as the 80s went on. And then as we go into the 90s, they start to get sci-fi kind of grafted onto them more and more. And I think you get an awful lot of quite specific genre tropes and and the way things work and feelings and stuff and i actually think to kind of bring it around to this film being on the on the podcast like modern superhero films and particularly the marvel films that have a kind of a sci-fi bent do actually owe a lot to to that that genre and that side of things as well like i I would call the majority of modern superhero films sci-fi action films Mm -hmm. am i right in saying that this film does quite a lot of stuff that hadn't really been done before but that's been done loads since it just feels like the whole shape and feel of this film kind of arrives almost fully formed and and that you can then see the dna of this film in almost everything that's come after it Yeah, I think at the very least, this codified a bunch of little things that had Mm. maybe been done in other films. Like, I think you could maybe see some influence from like the Mad Max films and the driving sequences. Mm. And obviously, you know, the director worked on or did Alien. So there's that too. But like Mad Max is a good good reference, actually. It took all of these disparate things and then put them into one film. And then that film was like the highest grossing film of all time for a while. So I think in that way, even if it's maybe not the first of a lot of these tropes it like codified them mm. in so many ways and so i think you're totally correct in that this had such an influence on like almost every blockbuster that came after i do i do agree that especially the marvel movies take a lot from terminator 2 and the films that terminator 2 influenced like if you look at if you look at the sort of big budget sci-fi that came before terminator 2 you're looking at things like aliens and blade runner and what those films lack is the sense of humor that this one has and obviously mm-hmm. like the marvel films really mm. dial up the comedy but it feels like terminator 2 was the first one to put in the jokes with the action with the character and have all of it set in an in a basically modern day setting like that that for me i think is what makes it feel like modern superhero movies Mm. is that it basically says yeah this is happening in our world like that was always the appeal of the marvel marvel universe was here are some superheroes but they're happening in your universe and i think that's and we you know we are going to come on to the terminator franchise stuff and i i think part of the reason why i've just never been that interested in where the franchise has gone after this is that okay this film obviously has that opening sequence that shows us that glimpse at the war in the future but i feel like that little sequence is all we ever need to see of that future Mm -hmm. like you know even even as someone who likes sci-fi and and likes things set in the future and likes big expansive you know ridiculous future worlds and stuff in this particular instance i think what makes terminator interesting is it being set in the present day with that future as a looming threat and it's about that future reaching back into the present and yeah absolutely i i i I think you're absolutely right that it is that thing of it's sci-fi that's set in the now i think 
think is that because even you yeah. know I, I, I think you made a really good example with Mad Max in terms of doing a lot of the the genre stuff, but obviously Mad Max is post apocalyptic future, mm-hmm. or like Indiana Jones, but that's a period. Exactly. Yeah. So piece, it's yeah, it's you know a different vibe, and, and you know you know from from Guns and Roses onward, this film is incredibly 1991 <laughs> in, in like <laughs> that that John's friends mullet. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic. <laughs> Absolutely iconic. <laughs> Again, as as I said on Twitter, I still can't get over that that actor is not the best friend from Big, but the best friend from Big is also the kid in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Whoa. But they are different <laughs> actors. Yeah, so this is Danny Cooksey. so similar. And in, in Big and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, it's Jared Rushton, and they are different actors. <laughs> huh. um, yeah, I think that the present day part, as you guys both said, is really key and then yeah sort of the different it, it it really effectively switches between different modes of action maybe even i think definitely more so than the first mm. terminator but you have like the big car chases you have the shootouts you have the like sarah breaking out thing that's more almost like a spy macgyver thing so you get a lot of different variety of action in here and i think also the sentimentality of the mm. ending like the tear jerkingness i think that's mm. also something that a lot of blockbusters go for you know like you have to have the heart which is different than something like you know indiana jones at least the first one is certainly not like here's our tear-jerking ending so i think that that is something that (laughs) it's not happening in total recall (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly that's something that we want the heart you know we and we want the like Mm father-son sweetness in there somewhere which I feel like so many blockbusters do now. It's kind of interesting that I guess, I mean, you know, he likes to do his own things, but I, it's kind of interesting that Marvel haven't sort of tried to look at seeing if they could get James Cameron involved. Uh, I mean, I, I also, I mean, I, I definitely don't think it's a surprise or a coincidence that originally the next thing he was going to do after this was Spider-Man. It <laughs> was Spider-Man, yeah. And, you know, you could, you could, I'm sure somebody probably has, but you could, you could write a book on what an interesting story um, James Cameron's potential Spider-Man project uh, and and the, <laughs> and the twists and turns that went through that might have had Arnie as Doctor Octopus, but uh, yeah, but but still, I just you know, I mean, God, can you imagine how much money a James Cameron Avengers film would make? Would it hit like four billion if you multiply their grosses together? Yeah, jeez. I was like, I mean, actually, given given the influence, I'm surprised you don't see more of. Because again, sort of the way that that those films like to draw on cinematic history and have people you recognise popping up in in roles. Where's Where's Michael Bain in the MCU? And and um, you know we had yeah. um, no, we knew, no, we, we we never had a Paxton, did we? Uh, he was in uh, Agents of Shield. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah. Well, that doesn't. Well, same as same as Sigourney Weaver. That doesn't really count in terms of of getting James Cameron uh, people in. Poor Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Given the most thankless role in Defenders, <laughs> but you know, all, all Linda Hamilton. Where's where, where's a role for Linda Hamilton somewhere? Yeah, I mean, doesn't seem outside the realm of possibility that they will turn up. Mm. I just, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like, as I say, when when you kind of actually break it down and and look at the influence of this, I'm not sure it gets the credit it deserves and gets that. I mean, it's it's definitely as as we kind of said at the start, like so many moments of this have passed into cultural law you know they were it was being referenced in comedy particularly very quickly afterwards like i'm sure like i'm li- i mean what wayne's wayne's world was like wayne's world was 92 wasn't it like it was literally the next year <laughs> that you had robert patrick i'm just looking up when homer loves flanders was that must be it's season five so that would have been 94 so that's like three years later very quickly this film kind of just became fodder for 
comedy references, but I I think we take it for granted. I really do. I think I don't think we actually recognise mm-hmm. all of the stuff that it does that you know we might not be seeing in films now if this film hadn't done it. I think you know I think what this is is like the first sort of modern four quadrant film in that mm. it appeals to multiple yeah. generations in different ways and like caroline was saying it hits all of those like you know it's funny it's emotional it's cool like it it does all that stuff but for everyone mm. so like it, it's not like commando which <laughs> is such a masculine film yeah and it's only aimed at like men of a certain age mm-hmm. you know it, this this does have something in it for everyone well yeah because despite being rated r it does weirdly feel like a family film mm-hmm. in the way that the marvel films you know are are sort of designed to be you take your kids and your yeah. grandparents and everybody has Absolutely. a good time it is i think too sometimes that movies can be so effortless that you it's hard to appreciate how much yeah, work went into definitely. making them feel that way Like, it's just, again, it's like, it's easy. And because it's such a big part of our culture, it's easy to just take all of its choices for granted as, oh, of course, that's the way it would be. But, you know, I don't think going back in time and and if you just had the first Terminator, you would imagine (laughs) that this is the sequel they would produce. Like, there's so many smart, thoughtful choices that went into this. James Cameron just knows what he's doing. (laughs) So we'll all be back here at Avatar 5 just (laughs) raving about all of the incredible (laughs) choices he's made. (laughs) So what went wrong after this, then? <laughs> With the sequels, the Terminator sequels. Yeah. Where did it Where did it all go wrong? If you've got this... And, and you know, and Caroline, as someone who actually likes the franchise, uh, maybe yeah. maybe from your perspective, it's where, where didn't it go wrong? But it's, you know, <laughs> the, this was so huge and not a single Terminator film since then, despite the repeated attempts, has remotely come close to it on a commercial or a critical level. What what have they yeah. failed to do? And what, I mean, talk us through a little bit where the franchise, for those of us who aren't familiar and who get like Salvation and Genesis and stuff confused and don't really sure. know how many different actors have played John Connor except that it seems to be quite a lot. <laughs> um, well, give us give us a rough kind of shape. This, this is nice because this is you explaining stuff like nerdy stuff to us instead yes. of me having to explain arcane comics background. Where, where's the Terminator <laughs> franchise gone after this? What's the shape of it? My Terminator knowledge finally comes in <laughs> handy. Um, so I think the most obvious thing is that James Cameron is, up until Dark Fate, he's not involved mm. at all. There, Terminator has this weird rights issues because I think the company that first originally made the movie ended up going bankrupt. And so they just had like, the rights have kind of been passed around to different people. One of Dark Fate's big selling points was that James Cameron was involved as a producer. Mm. Um, but before that you had, so you had Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines in 2003. The hook of that, so that's John, a more grown up, like 20 something John, Claire Danes is playing his wife and there's a lady terminator that one it leans into the cheesiness of t2 like really ups that a lot of that early 2000s like ooh, a lady Mm. a lady being a sexy warrior the two things i remember from terminator 3 rise of the machines are arnie putting on elton john glasses in a reprise (laughs) of that scene from terminator 2 and uh the tx or the terminatrix as she was sometimes called yes yes um seeing a billboard and inflating her breasts to match the billboard oh jesus so just some classy early 2000s <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> humor. From the sound of it, this is also this is when you've got Claire Danes just in that weird period of her career where she'd broken out, but 
because she was Claire Danes and like she's you know interesting and good, they sort of couldn't really. It's like now people know what to do with Claire Danes, but I think in like two thousand and three, it was oh, stick her as the female lead in a Terminator film, see if that works. <laughs> and she actually is pretty good in it. Like I actually think everybody in T three, they're not bad. Like I think the the bigger problem is the movie sensibility, sense of humor. Um, this is also so the other big missing piece is Linda Hamilton, who also doesn't come back until Dark Fate. They have so T3 is maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, and they Sarah has died off screen. I forget, I don't think it's like a it might even be like cancer or something. I forget what the the story is, but basically it's John and his future wife. And so this is where the franchise reverts back to this idea. I think the way they phrase it is like time is elastic, so you can change it in the way that they changed it in Judgment Day, but it will sort of always try to course correct back to, you know, a future where Skynet or something takes over and robots come. So it's sort of it's sort of saying like, you know, they did change the future in Judgment Day, but now the future is sort of changing back. I think it's very campy sort of in the way that like maybe the McG Charlie's Angels movies are. Like mm. you can I think you I can kind of enjoy that level of mm. campiness. I think T3 actually has a really cool ending. Like the ending of it is surprisingly dark. Is and... that the one where they're heading for a bunker because they think Skynet is there and they can shut it down and they get there and it's actually... Yeah. Yeah. It's like the end. So yeah. So like what you're saying, they think that they're going... And you as an audience think, again, they're just going to avert this and save the day as in T2. But instead... John and and Claire Dane show up at the place and they realize that it's actually just the bunker where the rebellion starts and all these people are calling in and they couldn't change fate and this is how they have to essentially just start becoming the rebellion against the machine. So it's like super dark. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? The end the end is like the all the people radioing in saying like hey, we need someone to take control, what do we do? Yeah. And then like handing John the microphone saying like here you go. Yeah, it's very dark, but to me in a like a cool way, especially for how campy the rest of the movie is. But I I get why Terminator, like, it's a certain sensibility. It's nowhere near as good as T2. But I think it also sort of has its fans in a weird way, I think, because of the campiness of it. I would say it's my second favorite of the four post-Terminator 2 films. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So then 2009, they do Terminator Salvation, which so it's been, that's the... T3 and Salvation, it's been the longest since I've seen them. But that, I think, is mostly set in just the post-apocalyptic future. Christian Bale as adult John Connor. Honestly, I don't even remember what the plot (laughs) of it is. But very, like, grim and gritty and very boring and generic. I am a huge Christian Bale fan, so I could at least connect to it on that level. But I think that, um, when I said before about, you know, I I think the, the picture that I have of pretty much all the subsequent Terminator films is probably drawn from what I know of Salvation in, oh, yeah. they're about the war rather than the stuff before it. I know that isn't, that one's got um, Anton Yelkin playing um, Kyle Reese, Kyle Reese it, as well? yeah, which is great casting. Mm. It's like one of the only times that they remember that Kyle Reese should be kind of a little squirrely weirdo <laughs> as opposed to yeah. Jai Courtney, who eventually <laughs> ends up playing him. Yeah. Salvation is not good. There's like one one really fun scene where Christian Bale gets to say I'll be back and that really like my love for Christian Bale gets me through <laughs> that movie which it's is McGee, though, I mean if it? I it's said directed that, by McGee. I was gonna say yeah <laughs> if the other if 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 um Terminator 3 sort of feels like McGee Charlie's Angels this is like the opposite <laughs> of that this is like no cheese no camp no fun Bryce Dallas Howard is in it as the redheaded wife that was previously Claire Danes yeah just very grim and gritty and not fun I think Arnold is in it for like a really really brief cameo 
but he's not. A, I again, I don't really remember the plot. Mm. This is the one. This is where um, Christian Bale's infamous. I was going to say that it, it is. It is. The, it is <laughs> the film with the Christian Bale rant, isn't it? Where yeah. where he he stays in the accent <laughs> <We're> done professionally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that is its biggest legacy. Mm. Honestly, that is. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. I didn't. If you just want like a whatever, the most generic movie ever, you know, it's not. To me, it didn't feel like it offensively messed with the canon of the Terminator franchise in a way. It is a sequel to Terminator 3 as well, isn't it, right? It is set after Terminator 3 in the future. Yeah, so those are all, until Dark Fate, they all sort of in some way follow, even if the actors are switching out. Um, So the next one... Terminator Genesis, or the Empire podcast always calls it Terminator Genesis. <laughs> Why is it? Is, is there a reason in the film it's spelt that way, by the way? Or... No, I think Genesis is like the name of a company that maybe, okay. you know, produces the Skynet equivalent or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's the software that Cyberdyne are making. Right, yeah. okay. So, sure. So this one, so this is, uh, I actually really like Terminator Genesis. I like Most it. It, okay. was, it didn't have a good reputation, but I think it's super fun. It's Amelia Clark as um sarah connor and a horribly messed cast jai courtney as kyle reese (laughs) and so the idea of this is it feels like it's going to be a remake of the first one and that we follow kyle reese getting sent back in time presumably to 80s los angeles to you know go help meek sarah as we were expecting from the first film but it turns out an old terminator already went back in time like a nice terminator who they end up calling pops and he like raised (laughs) sarah connor to be a badass so by 1984 she's the one that shows up and says come with me if you want to live and she ends up having to help kyle reese they do this one they actually do like time travel like through time they do a lot of time travel okay that that sounds kind of fun that that sounds more up my street than i might have realized it is fun to me this is like campy and fun and silly in a really good enjoyable way not to the level of of t3 and to me this is like if you have a non-cameron terminator this is like the best you can hope for we're just like a really fun blockbuster film with some solid comedy like a nice performance from arnold schwarzenegger as like an aging he's sort of Mm. the terminator has now aged because he's just lived you know through the years yeah because they they jump into the future don't they and then the old one stays in the stays in that era and ages naturally yes and because i think he had been originally sent back early like when sarah was little so he sort of raised Mm. her as his Yeah, yeah he was her father figure and then i do think you're right that they jump around Maybe even there's some twists and turns involving some of the characters we know and love in different ways. I think Genesis is really fun. Like definitely a lot of that. I think its biggest problem is that it was one of these movies where it was like, we're going to launch a new trilogy. So instead of being a complete movie, we'll just dangle a lot of things and then pick them up in the next few movies, including like Matt Smith in a role that presumably would have been much bigger. But now it's just like nothing. (laughs) My my favorite thing about Genesis is how they they really return to the original idea of like something's coming to get you and if it gets to you it's going to kill you like mm. the thing they repeatedly do mm-hmm. in genesis is have someone just one person being chased by one terminator and they really make you feel like if that thing catches up with me it's going to be bad so i just have to not let it catch up with me they also really return to the sarah kyle dynamic and even though jai courtney is again horribly miscast like that's not <laughs> kyle reese's energy at all is not like buff bro but i think that that relationship i've always thought i've always found really compelling and so i like yeah. a film centered on that i think they flip a school bus over at one point like just fun i don't know i had a really good time 
seeing this okay. movie. Um, and then you have the latest, which came out last year, Terminator Dark Fate. So this one, Cameron came back to produce it, although he didn't direct it. And I think there was some behind the scenes tension in terms of director Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool. And then James Cameron is produced. I think there were sort of some squabbles over who actually had full creative control. But this one, the idea is that it just ignores all of the other sequels. It's a direct. So this is Superman Returns. Yeah. yeah. And (laughs) yeah, 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 exactly. And so we have Linda Hamilton return. It's it's like a spiritual remake of the first Terminator in that we have like a young woman who's the threat of this all named Danny who lives in Mexico. And then we have somebody sent back to protect her who is Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie, yeah. Mackenzie Davis playing like a half, like a human that's sort of been converted. Into yeah. Cyborg, Mackenzie Davis is playing a superhero basically. Cause she's, she's yeah, like yeah. an augmented, a cybernetically augmented human. She's got like mesh in her skin or something that may basically mean she can punch people across rooms and, you know, jump over bridges and stuff. I mean, yeah. if, if you want to sell me and James on a movie, Mackenzie Davis is a superhero. <laughs> Definitely a way to do it. Well, so this is, this is actually, this is my favorite of all the sequels. Is it? Yeah. Cause I think the action is really good and the story is really strong. And Mackenzie Davis is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that this one... I actually think this one was maybe better critically received than Genesis. I uh, was like weirdly yeah. not a big fan of Dark Fate. I think there are things I like about it. So you get Linda Hamilton back as like present day Sarah Connor. Things have like gone wrong in her life. So she's sort of in dark and gritty mode. You have Arnold back as a version of the Terminator. I l- sort of liked some of the ideas of this, but I thought it lost... I don't know. To me, this one felt the most like a conventional blockbuster we'd get today without the connections to the element of the elements of Terminator that I like the most. That's like fair. namely yeah. namely the this one kind of withholds what's actually going on in the future. They kind of string you along as a mystery or, you know, make you think one thing and do something else. But to me, it's like the fun of Terminator is that you know the future. And so withholding that sort of lost the thing I found most compelling about it. But there's nothing I would point to as being like egregiously bad in it. It just didn't quite it took itself a little bit too seriously for my. Case. I think Arnie's performance is really good in this one. Like, I think he's really yeah, hilarious in it. And the, uh, the jokes about him having, like, his, uh, is it window cleaning or something? Oh, yeah, his, like, drapery yeah. <laughs> yeah. interior design business. Just the idea that, like, the Terminator's cover is that he's just become, like, a small business owner. <laughs> and yeah. some, we'll sometimes go in and like have really in-depth opinions about like yeah drapery or whatever it is it's, it's such a funny comic touch yeah there's th- there's definitely things to like about this one to me it just didn't i don't know maybe my expectations were too high i found it to be obviously a much better made film than something like terminator 3 but mm-hmm. it was lacking that like terminator magic that i look for in this franchise yeah, i think i would struggle to sit through it again because it was just just like a really long action movie and there wasn't a lot of meat in there sort of philosophically which is the thing i look for in action films like joking aside that is what i want yeah because terminator yeah. 2 has shown me it is possible the thing i like most about dark fate is the opening scene because <laughs> terminator 2 puts together this idea of like hey, the worst thing that could possibly happen is if a Terminator caught up with, with John Connor, <laughs> and specifically with Edward Furlong. Mm. And then the opening scene of Dark Fate is the CGI de-aged Sarah Connor and John Connor, and a Terminator like walks out of the sea and fucking ices him. And it's I like every, very every horrible anxiety of your childhood has just come to pass in front of your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and like from that moment, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> 
if nothing else, go and watch that scene on YouTube because it will just fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, it's very grim. And so that sets us up for we have a like a grizzled Sarah Connor in her 60s or however old Linda Hamilton is, which is fun. I think that's one of the most like seeing her back is definitely yeah, yeah. a huge selling point here because she hadn't been in any of the mm-hmm. previous sequels after T2. I think she's very good. She gets to say... I'll be back at one point and that really delighted me. <laughs> but I don't know. I found the action in this one actually lacking compared to Genesis. Well, compared to Deadpool little... as well, because Deadpool is so physical and so confident with his action. And this is like, let's have a plane crashing and it will take half an hour. Yeah. And it felt there. I mean, it's the opposite of the practicality we were praising about T2. It's just very mm-hmm. CGI, hard to feel like anything that's happening is very tangible. And I think a disappointing, they have a, I mean, all these movies always have some sort of new robotic villain and this is the rev nine i think it's called which is (laughs) like just doesn't even follow the naming scheme just arnold terminator mixed with t1000 sort of an interesting idea and then it's much it's even that idea of the t1000 sort of being so good at interacting with people and like finding people that way they sort of bump that up a little bit, which is interesting, but otherwise just like very forgettable and not original in what it does. Yeah, the Rev-9 is is an endoskeleton with like a T-1000 sort of wrapped around. Yeah, and it can separate so it can be two... At points they work as a team, yeah. ...fighting at once. I don't know. People like Dark Fate, so I think I'm I'm in the... I'm an outlier in that I didn't like it as much. To me, if there's one to watch, it's Genesis... And then Terminator 3, just for how cool that last scene is. (laughs) (laughs) And then Salvation, if you're a big Christian Bale fan like me. (laughs) Salvation's the one I would say don't bother with. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Well, as I said, yeah, and I I think probably, I don't, I mean, I don't think I really had any idea what Genesis was about. And I just remember, I remember writing a news piece for an American website that I've written for uh, called Anglophenia uh, about Matt, you know, they were big Doctor Who Mm -hmm. (laughs) fans. It was a BBC America um, project. And they were talking about Matt Smith being in it. And I remember, um, like, you know, running an article with a picture of Matt Smith as a soldier with a gun. And it was like, okay, this very much looks, and particularly from the title as well, the title kind of implies that futureness and i was like okay this is another film then about i didn't realize a that it was that it from the sound of it it was kind of doing a back to the future 2 with terminator a little bit yeah yeah and that yeah you know that it that it isn't set in the future like it it, you know it jumps around between times but from the sound of it the furthest it goes is still the present in inverted commas like of of when it was made so it's not that i don't like it being set in the future at all but i just yeah i i I got the impression that it was just going to be another film about the the post-judgment day war basically so yeah no it's really just salvation that um that's that's intrigued me even with the miscasting of uh (laughs) yeah and then so as i mentioned i haven't actually seen the sarah connor chronicles but i know that's a huge Mm. like thing that people really love it was a show that ran on fox Mm. for like uh, maybe just one one or two seasons um starring lena Headey from game of thrones and it's just about sarah and john like post t2 um yeah so i've heard great things i really want to check it out but i haven't seen it myself the thing that i remember about uh sarah connor chronicles is that shirley manson is in it (laughs) there you go okay and then well for comics i'll have to turn to you guys for for all the info on that but that's i think most of the all of the live action that was i mean that was a fantastically comprehensive overview of the Terminator. <laughs> that was like that was that was long almost as long or if not longer than I could talk about versions of Starman. <laughs> so, that's all I so that's all I can on hope you. to that deliver was, on this podcast. <laughs> that was a that was a proper cinematic universe explainer. James <laughs> 
Talk to us about comics then, if if Caroline hasn't ever read any Terminator comics, because there's been quite a few of those, haven't there? Yeah, in fact, there have been comics since 1988, which is interesting because the the earliest Terminator comics, which were published by a now defunct company called Now, were produced before Terminator 2. So Mm. they do a whole bunch of world building that, (laughs) you know, is just so strange and off the wall. I've not actually read most of those now, or basically any of the original Terminator series from from Now Comics, which was 17 issues, but it has things like, you know, it's set in the present and Skynet is embodied by a, like, holographic ringmaster. (laughs) There are people who live on the moon, like, there's a major storyline about people who live on the moon and come to Earth. Like, it's just this bizarre, like, Philip K. Dick-esque future. I suppose when you've only got that one film to go on and that one film isn't about the future yeah, stuff yeah. at all. <laughs> well, that's like... that's what I find really interesting about it is that it's like such an unusual part of the Terminator lore because it's, it's basically come up with the idea whole cloth from just a couple of lines <laughs> in the original um, and it's been fully imagined. So obviously after that point, they become a lot lot more conventional in how they portray um the future and this to be honest this is where they start blurring together as far as i'm concerned like i haven't i haven't read a huge amount i did go and read a few for this episode the one that people always come back to and recommend is terminator the burning earth which was the last thing that now comics published and has alex ross artwork so it's like fully you know illustrated by alex ross which is quite a major deal like Mm. i don't know if you think of comics which were drawn by alex ross you get like marvels and kingdom come like it was a big deal in the 90s he yeah it's weird i mean he sort of he started his career on franchisey stuff Mm -hmm. because i think the earliest thing that i've seen or had i think my my dad had a copy of a clive barker i don't even know if it was hellraiser it might have been nightbreed or something like that but it was it was one of the clive barker things (laughs) and alex ross had drawn one issue of it and it was like i think it was after i think this terminator uh one shot thing was his very first but the the clive barker thing was not long after that Mm -hmm. but yeah there's there's this before alex ross you know hits with marvels in 94 and becomes this like basically at that point the biggest artist in comics for a good few years he's doing his painted style that was like nobody else on franchise stuff that was only being bought by fans of the franchises <laughs> yeah. in question <laughs> but um so burning earth is actually is quite a cool story it's about um it's set in the future and it's skynet is essentially saying like okay i'm i'm done with fighting humans i'm just going to nuke the entire world and you know whatever survives is fine I'm, i will survive because i'm skynet i mean it's about the human resistance trying to stop that it's the one that when they started talking about making terminator sequels lots of the fans were going make burning earth like do that <laughs> you know in the same way i think the alien franchises have similar things where when they when they moot sequels, people will point at comic stories and go, you should adapt this one. And so Dark Horse had the franchise for a long time. Like, Dark Horse produce always sort of dependable franchise comics. Like, they did a lot of the Aliens ones. They had Star Wars for ages. In those days, in, in the 90s, Dark Horse were, aside from the other stuff Dark Horse were doing, Dark Horse were what IDW are now. They were the ones who hoovered up the movie franchises and then did comics crossovers between aliens yep. and terminator and predator and all of that stuff yeah they did they did quite famously they did a robocop versus terminator series 
Mm. I think they did a Superman they versus did Terminator. They did do Superman versus Terminator, and they did Alien <laughs> versus Predator versus Terminator at one point. There are some of those crossover stuff. There are some really. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever read anything Dark Horse did with Terminators in. I do remember they did Batman versus Predator, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they they were long before Aliens versus Predator was a film or or a game, they they had done Aliens versus Predator comics that I think were really successful as well. Mm-hmm. But I think there are even two Batman v Predator comics. I think the first one did so well there was a sequel because it was Dave Gibbons did it. <laughs> um, so well, I mean was... that's that's the sort of thing that these comics can do well is that they can take the basic idea of Terminators and just apply them to bizarre yeah. situations that you know, with the limited number of films and the budgets at stake, you would never see. So you get some quite far out ideas. Whether they're well suited to Terminator, I don't know. Like the ones I've read certainly just feel like generic future action stories that don't really build off the ideas or the character. It's almost like they were told, like, avoid, try and avoid doing anything that the movies might do because, you know, we don't want you blowing our stories. So they try and write around the setup. Hmm. Marvel has produced precisely one Terminator comic, which was the adaptation of Terminator 2. I would love to read that. I couldn't find it anywhere, but I hope to read it one day. IDW are currently publishing Transformers vs. Terminator. That is like one of the least surprising things I've ever Only <laughs> Only one issue has come out. I will definitely read it when it's finished, because <laughs> that just sounds absolutely insane to me. But yeah, there are quite there are quite a lot of series over the years. Malibu, Malibu had the Terminator license for a while, ah. which you can imagine we probably won't see those um, comics ever again because Malibu is in a very strange situation rights wise. Yeah, I don't know. Just there are some adaptations that have life in their own right and become respected in their own right. I think it's fair to say that Terminator comics have never quite broken out of the shadow of the um, Terminator movies. I'm trying to think of some examples of where this did happen in other franchises. Like, for we've talked about More Than Meets the Eye. Like, More Than Meets the Eye as an adaptation of the Transformers story is quite possibly the best version that's ever been done. There is nothing in a Terminator comic that improves on anything in Terminator 1 or 2. And possibly nothing that improves in any of the movies full stop. Mm. So, you know, how much value there is in adapting these stories and and redoing these stories is debatable. Mm -hmm. Personally, if I was doing Terminator comics, I would be telling stories about Terminators going after peripheral individuals in the war and <laughs> making it an anthology series, like finding finding ways to tell interesting stories about people whose lives intersect with a Terminator encounter. I like I like the idea of the of like Skynet in the future going, we'll keep failing trying to kill Sarah and John Connor, but if we take out enough of these other minor <laughs> well, people I, in it fairness, might still I, I think I stole that from Caroline you'll have to remind me is that Terminator is that Salvation, where they go, we're after John, but we're also after his six deputies. <laughs> it must, yeah, it doesn't stand out to me, so it probably was, yeah, that's the one I remember the least. <laughs> it's one of those films where they go, yeah, we're going right. to kill John, and we're also going to kill like your five lieutenants. <laughs> Just trying to think if there's anything more I can say about Terminator comics that's worth saying. I mean, basically, there are some... And if you're a if you're a big fan, you might find stuff to enjoy. But it it's definitely not one of those properties where the comics have kind of enriched it and become something that takes on a life of its own or or that kind of thing. You know, we're we're not talking about a Transformers here. 
No, and possibly not even an alien. Or even an aliens. <laughs> aliens does the aliens comics, which again we will talk about on a future episode. They do have their issues, but they write one enormous wrong, and by write the wrong, I mean they do it before the wrong happened. But I mean that they're about Newton Hicks. <laughs> I was about to say, so, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. But... Uh, no, yeah, there were aliens comics produced by Dark Horse between Aliens and Alien Three, and they're about Newton Hicks fighting aliens. So obviously, Alien Three comes along and kills them off so the comics had to change the names of the characters and they become billy and i can't remember, even remember what they changed hicks's name to but they basically changed the names and in all in all printing since then their names are different <laughs> so but they're basically they're they're an older um newt and and hicks Interesting. and they're really good you know just quickly i've discovered that j michael straczynski uh wrote a spin-off series about terminator salvation <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that might be worth looking into, right? <laughs> you would imagine J. Michael Straczynski, for all his faults, at least has ideas. Yeah. Not always good ideas, but in terms of competence, he is a league above most of the people who are writing Terminator comics. So you have to assume that one's interesting, if not good. Mm. I mean, you said that. I mean, I'm looking at the, um, down the listing of the, like some of that, that the early Dark Horse stuff was also, there was um, John Arcudi, who was the co-creator of The Mask and alan grant did some alan grant did some james robinson before james robinson did uh, i mean james robinson's had a patchy career but it's it's pre-starman james robinson so that's probably interesting as well but mm-hmm. yeah so there were there are, there are some names in there but yeah nothing that sort of again it's sort of it's not a thing where it it sounds like it jumps out in people's careers no well, that's Terminator, and quite <laughs> comprehensively, I think. Uh, well, I mean, one one thing you'll notice that again with this, with the the rules for this sort of these films that aren't superhero films, we're not sticking to the we have to cover an entire series in order, which is why we haven't done an entire episode on the first film before doing the second one. It's kind of we've done that one and and used that one as our opportunity to as as in quite detail talk about the entire franchise. And I, th- I would imagine with things like Aliens, will and Transformers is more questionable, but I mean, I ain't gonna do every single Transformers Michael Bay film, but <laughs> we'll 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 see how we. Until I talk you guys into doing a Terminator Genesis podcast two years <laughs> well, from now, you know, I, I tell you, if if I'm I'm intrigued enough to possibly go and watch it, and if I do, we could reconvene maybe for a, a Patreon <laughs> bonus just to have a little chat about about what I actually thought of it. So if I get round to it, then then watch out for that because I, I I'm intrigued enough to want to. Uh, to want to give that a look but yeah otherwise that was that was terminator 2 which which i think i think we can probably safely say and agree is a is a pretty good film right i would say a pretty perfect film in fact yeah mm-hmm. apart from there's a there's a there's a quite dodgy bit of back projection when they're, <laughs> when they're in the car yeah <laughs> yeah that is one yeah, there, were, the... there are three scenes <laughs> that i think don't hold up it's the <laughs> the initial time travel effect because that looks really badly overlaid um, mm. It's the one where some a truck or something hits a wall and Arnie flies off and like rolls over on the floor and it looks like he's a I don't know oh I, yeah, yeah I know what you it just yeah, it looks yeah, like he's yeah. a little action figure and yeah. that back projection those are and the only the three projection. pieces yeah. of special <laughs> effects that don't hold up but otherwise it's basically a perfect it's an exemplar so. of its genre. 
if you yeah, if you if you somehow haven't seen it, well, we've ruined it. But <laughs> hopefully, we've also persuaded you. And if you haven't seen it for years and years, because it's one of those films that, as I say, I think it's easy to take for granted. Go back and and just just enjoy it. Just enjoy it for what it is, because it's it's such a ride of a film. Just enjoy the dialogue of nothing else. It has so many good lines. Yeah, what it's what so a tight, script. Which you don't yeah. you don't always associate that with James Cameron, but it really is. It's a it's a damn tightly written script in terms of yeah that that economy of dialogue and stuff james have you got a game for us uh, I don't know no we stopped prepared. doing that uh, did we stop doing yeah. them completely we, uh, we agreed to stop doing it for the sake okay. of everyone out there <laughs> <laughs> I'd, st- I'd, I'd still i mean we're you know we're, we're good for time on this one we've gone long enough but i'd still like to potentially have them sometimes on future episodes get in touch and tell us if you want us to still do games and then we'll have to force james to, <laughs> to come up with them well Thanks both for for joining us. That's you know being well. Say thanks. Well, James, I don't have to thank you for joining us. You are us. Thanks, Caroline, once again for for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can find more and subscribe to us on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, Stitcher, or any other podcast app of choice. You can also find everything we do at cinematicuniverse.com. You can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com. And if you want to get in touch, the best way is on Twitter at cine underscore verse or with an email to podcast at cinematicuniverse.com that's a new email address by the way Uh, as part of a move in hosting um, I've set that up so that the messages that people send occasionally to that don't get mixed up with like a bajillion PR emails so uh, if you've sent us an email in the past I have probably read it but I might not have read it until a long time after you sent it which is why it's not got picked up on the podcast but I have now set up a podcast email that you can send stuff and we might read them out finally I can get in touch with you exactly (laughs) yes (laughs) and I can ghost you Um, if you want to support the show even further obviously the best way is to back us on patreon and recently we've been putting a load of exclusive content on there um james has been undertaking the utterly insane exercise of watching and reviewing every single episode of the 92 x-men cartoon because <laughs> disney plus launched in the uk just I've, as we went into I've lockdown finished season one i'm working <laughs> on season two yeah. So as and as well as that, we we've been doing. Um, um, you can't have surely failed to see our, our weekly live stream watch-alongs of movies. Uh, Infinity War, Endgame. Uh, we haven't done it at the time of recording this, but we will have done by the time it comes out. Into the Spider Verse with special guest Dan Slott. That's quite exciting and a little bit terrifying from a position <laughs> of not having done it yet. Well, this is like a real time travel uh, <laughs> yes, moment for us. Yeah. <laughs> we sent Dan Slot back from the yeah. future. To... <laughs> I just want to say in advance, podcast. sorry for all those things I said. Yeah, <laughs> they are generally, uh, the live versions of those are generally exclusive to Patreon backers. Uh, and then you can watch them afterwards if you're if you're not a Patreon backer. Uh, but thank you to the deluge of people who've backed us over the last month um, because of all of this new stuff. Um, we've had basically the biggest like single jump in backers that we've had pretty much since we started. Um, so we usually list on the episode everyone who's backed us since the last one apologies if I miss anyone and if I miss anyone let me know and I'll shout you out on the next episode but as far as I can see thank you to Hugh McStay Kieran Foster Neil Webber William Lockwood James Collard Pete Woolman Elliot Morris Neil McQuish Brian Barr John Fitzsimmons Damian Roberts Ben Moss Sean Loftus James Nelson Jim Connick Guy Buckland Chris Lake Paul Matthew Mark Sexton and Stephen Jessup wow basically um, <laughs> Thanks for doing the the X-Men podcast, James. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, thanks to everyone for listening. Hope you'll tune in again. Uh, we'll see you next time for whatever our next film is. We haven't decided yet, but we'll probably say on the next minisode. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hasta la vista, baby.
Uh, I can't believe only I know. you thought How to do that. How did we not think that? Amazing. That's what you need me here for. It has to, the Terminator nerd has to be the one to think of it. So, Brilliant. Well done. <laughs>